The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
página. All right. I think we'll wait just a, one more moment for Commissioner Lanier. I think I hear her. You're fine. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our city commission meeting on this uh, May 3rd of 2022. Uh, today's an important day uh, as our city manager presents his uh, fiscal plan to this body. Uh, so just a, a couple things as we prepare for our time together this morning. Uh, I will um, first turn it over to our city manager to do a presentation of the proposed budget uh, and then commissioners we do have two resolutions before us and these are just simple resolutions to schedule public hearings on May 17th um, for two items related to the budget but just a couple things uh, the city manager will break up the presentation into three sections and so I'll ask you to hold your questions and comments until we get to those breaks just to give staff time to get through the materials uh, and then uh, I'm sure like many of you I haven't had a chance to read the entire budget just yet uh, I'll be working through that over the next week uh, as you do that because of the compressed timeline that we have um, for a whole host of reasons I'm going to ask you uh, to send any questions or comments you have as you read through the budget directly to the city manager uh, and so that he can get our feedback even uh, in real time I'd say before our meetings over the next several weeks um, so if you'll join me in doing that I know he'll appreciate it uh, you're welcome obviously to CC our CFO uh, but it's important that as soon as you have questions or comments that you get those to him so that he can prepare for uh, the meetings that we have over the next couple weeks uh, so with that uh, welcome everyone I'll turn it over to our city manager uh, to present our budget Thank you, Mayor Bliss, and good morning, Commissioners. I want to thank you for this opportunity this morning to uh, share the proposed fiscal 23 uh, budget with you. And I want to begin by thanking uh, all the staff that has uh, worked so hard to make this possible. And I'll acknowledge them more in detail later in the presentation. And as I reflected on this morning, uh, this is my fourth budget proposal. And three of the budget proposals have occurred since the pandemic with economic uh, turmoil and social unrest and this one is similar to the conditions of the other budget proposals but with a little more nuance as when we began preparing this process with you back in november and considering some of the policy 
issues we'll talk about today, we had no idea we would also be challenged with a real uh, public safety issue that involved one of our own police officers in the shooting of Patrick Leoya on uh, April the 4th. And so this budget recognizes a lot of the conversation that is occurring now around public safety reform, but it also recognizes the need to continue essential services and also provide uh, areas, improvements in areas that you've talked about previously. So this morning, what I'd like to do is, as we introduce the proposed budget, talk about uh, those areas in which we will continue to provide essential services, but I'll highlight some of the changes as well as uh, continuing to place emphasis on the important work of equity that we started with the adoption of our strategic plan and being intentional about addressing institutional and systematic racism that has plagued uh, this community and organization in the past. The bu proposed budget is uh, almost $600 million of all funds and $163 million for the general fund. We continue to use our strategic plan as a roadmap. Uh, there's also a 2% reduction in the property tax rate millage, but we are fortunate to leverage the use of ARPA funds, and as you'll see later on, highlighted in the spending plan, about a third, excuse me, $32 million is planned for use uh, fiscal year 23. We also uh, wanted to make sure that we continue to provide all the essential services around road maintenance, water quality, uh, make sure the parks are maintained, but also, as I mentioned, play, pay att particular attention to the need to increase uh, our level of trust in reform when it comes to public safety, specifically law enforcement, and you'll see a significant increase in investment in our Office of Public Safety and Oversight. This is the first conversation we'll have today. We'll continue the discussion on the 10th, uh, both in the morning and in the afternoon, and you'll see the topics that we'll cover during our workshops. Uh, if there's time, either on the morning of the 10th or the afternoon of the 10th or the 17th, we, uh, although we're scheduled for a public hearing, if there's a need to continue to discuss any of the topics that you have heard, we'll also provide time there as well as on the 24th prior to your uh, vote. I mentioned the importance of <clears throat> continuing to align the organization with our vision, our mission, and our values, as these are central, and you'll hear them referenced throughout the budget discussions, as well as the focus on making sure that we continue to make progress on our six strategic priorities. And that is how the briefings are organized around our priority areas. Additionally, if you recall, when we conducted the retreat, uh, there were areas of specific focus during the uh, pandemic, uh, the recession, as well as helping us to improve our, our relationship with community around social tension. And uh, today we will discuss uh, three of those area of focus after I provide a general overview of the budget, public safety reform, crime prevention, and fiscal sustainability. So you'll hear after I present the CFO missed out on equity, we'll take a pause, then we'll hear from our police chief, our oversight office, and take a pause and then we'll hear uh, from the fire chief as well as uh, 61st District Court. 
<clears throat> so some highlights of some safe community investments. I mentioned the investments from the oversight office. The budget there was previously 405000 In this year's proposed budget, uh, there will be over $2.5 million of resources in the oversight office. Some will be specifically designated for community-informed and community-engaged cultural competency training and de-escalation training. This is in addition to the training that the police department has in their budget. I'm expecting the oversight office to engage both the police department and the community. So this training is co-design, co-experience with community members to focus on the topics around competency and de-escalation. Uh, there's additional staffing in the oversight office. We've also uh, reallocated the funding for the body cam um, contract to the oversight office for the administration of the contract. So uh, it's, it's not atypical for other cities to have the contractual terms and conditions of, of the contract negotiated by the procurement office, IT department, or entity outside the department where the police department still operationally utilizes and manages it, but we're elevating the administration of it uh, for additional transparency and oversight uh, to uh, the Office of uh, Oversight and Public Accountability. We also have uh, funding for the continuation of the Cure Violence Program, uh, almost $900,000, and some of that is from a combining a variety of sources, both grant funding as well as the federal funding you'll hear highlighted in our legislative effort that we, we appreciate our representatives helping us to acquire. We've also specifically carved out funding for $150,000 to increase our engagement efforts with our immigrant and refugee community. We've heard the need to be more intentional around engaging those members of our community to make sure that they understand uh, their rights as uh, immigrant and refugees, as well as some of the systems that are in place that uh, may be somewhat unfamiliar to them and helping them to make sure they feel connected and, and belonging in our community. And you'll see some of the other efforts, much of the good work you'll hear from Mr. Davis. Uh, later, we also have additional million dollars in crime prevention, violence prevention uh, programs, the continuation, a lot of good work from um, our neighborhood organizations. As Actually, there's uh, we've increased the funding Two neighborhoods you'll hear later on by 25% with some of the CDDGB funded programs, and we're continuing the work of the SAFE task force. Some other examples of uh, efforts that we're do making to enhance safe community investments include our mobile crisis police co-response partnership with Network 180. We've been successful <clears throat> in piloting a partnership with uh, them and domestic uh, assault response units as well as uh, the homeless outreach team. And so we're expanding the types of calls that they will be assisting with. And you'll see the other efforts around both uh, police and fire. And I won't go into detail. I'll let the uh, police chief and fire chief highlight uh, that as well. But I do want to highlight the fire department's uh, $100,000 fire cadet program that they're launching this year to enhance um, diversity and inclusion within the fire department. Around governmental excellence, uh, we are, we last year we launched the participatory budgeting program. Unfortunately, that was launched last year. That program is not 
the funds have not been expended. And so I heard from some of the commissioners who uh, were very pleased to hear that there was a million dollars in the third ward, but none of it has been executed. So we are going to um, reinstitute the funding for the third ward equity fund to its previous amount of 750000 That's in addition to the money that's in the participatory budgeting process. Uh, you see the intentionality around supporting the work of uh, equity staff in, in the department due to grant funding, as well as some other efforts uh, to ensure that we have good continuity of leadership, specifically when our HR department, we're going to fully fund uh, the assistant director position this year, as well as begin our uh, efforts in updating our compensation study now that we are finding ourselves in an even more competitive market in the future, as well as uh, continuing our efforts around innovation and continuous improvement with our newly uh, staff innovation officer. I also want to call it to your attention uh, the $300,000 investment that we will have in our facility space and utilization uh, workspace analysis. We're basically going to look at all city-owned properties and make sure that we are continuing to use them in their best and most appropriate use, similar to what we've done with 201, but we're going to have that analysis uh, citywide in all of our properties that we own. Continuing uh, in economic prosperity and affordability investment, uh, you'll see the reallocation of $5 million from the um, for the Affordable Housing Fund, additional investments for housing and homelessness, another $6 million roughly in, for those services, as well as our continuation of our material storage program that we have for particularly for those unhoused persons who did not feel um, comfortable going into sheltering locations, or even if they did, particularly during the daytime, they have somewhere to store their materials in a safe place, and we found that to be a good pilot. You'll also see several other investments around projects, uh, the continuation of the discussion and funding for the master plan and several other initiatives along the river corridor, but also our support of uh, uh, developing um, minority-owned business programs and what we hope for will ultimately leverage an additional $10 million in private commitments based on the incentives uh, that we have offered uh, through the city's uh, tax incentive uh, programs. I, I do want to call your attention to um, another new investment, a $50,000 um, investment that we will be making with uh, the support of the Black Business Ex Expo and African American Task Force to help us uh, convene uh, business owners, not only in our African American community, but the diaspora, if you will, of the black community, to begin to talk about a more synergetic conversation around business development and how do we become more supportive of those opportunities. I know we'll hear later on about some of our economic uh, service organizations that we have, but there's a need to have a broader organization or a conversation to help us with that, and we're happy to um, be part of that, that dialogue and discussions, particularly as um, members of our community are, are starting to uh, document the legacy and history of uh, the flight, uh, plight of African Americans in the Grand Rapids. Uh, we want to be part of the conversation. 
you'll see investments under engage and connected uh, community and we'll have a more discussion talking about how we want to be more deliberate around our uh, engagement efforts we've talked about before the difference between communication and engagement you'll see two hundred thousand dollars for the creation of that framework also some uh, I mentioned earlier the increased funding for our neighborhood organizations that was about a 25 percent increase on average as well as the intentional effort that I mentioned the oversight office will be doing with our immigrant community also want to uh, highlight some of the efforts that the the good work that the City Clerk's doing in the bilingual communications and outreach strategy that'll be new this year, as well as we've uh, doubled our funding for our language access uh, support and translation services in this year's budget, as we find that uh, not only do we have to be bilingual in terms of helping people speak English and Spanish, but we're recognizing that there are additional languages uh, that uh, we need to ensure that there is competency on uh, the city's staff whenever we're having public meetings and conversations with community members. We continue to double down on our efforts for uh, climate action and climate ad adaptation, both focusing on reducing carbon emissions in buildings as well as working with our neighborhood organizations to be more intentional particularly with uh, residents of color and making sure that we can reduce carbon emissions. Also want to point out electrification effort uh, in the parks department that will convert all gas uh, golf carts this year to uh, in the coming year to electrical uh, electric golf carts. Some additional um, efforts that I'd like to highlight in terms of um, health and environment is uh, both the support of some of our park and community spaces. You see the development uh, and planning efforts for the Martin Luther King Park Lodge, Garfield Park, Richmond Park, and other centers in our community, as well as uh, we are putting forth $1.3 million in funding for tree planting, as well as continuing our uh, youth engagement uh, programs, both for summer camps as well as outdoor activities. Some additional highlights of investments. You can tell Allison uh, helped to prepare these slides. There are more investments highlighting health and environment than any other section. <laughs> Uh, we are uh, spending $2.4 million to help convert some of the residents who are in our water system outside of the city uh, who are on water wells to the city's water and sewer services and make sure that they reduce exposure to PFAS. Uh, we also are uh, continuing to pilot $160,000 recycling pilot with properties owned by the Housing Commission, so multifamily uh, recycling. And we're also being intentional about creating a new public education specialist, our public service aid, and our refuse collection operated operations to help us with recycling. And when I met with the staff and asked who's Responsibility is it to focus on resident education around recycling full-time, all the time, 365 days a year. There was not a single person. It was a shared responsibility um, in the department. And we think we can be a little bit more intentional uh, by having a person dedicated to that, similar to how we're continuing to have a person dedicated to uh, lead hazard and control. 
Under mobility, we are continuing to expand our sidewalk network and trail network, as well as uh, piloting a new program this year, quarter million dollars for our neighborhoods of focus to help with uh, car share programs. So we had the bike share, the scooter program, and this year we'll be piloting a new car share program that would allow uh, them to have mo additional mobility options, but locating it specifically in the neighborhoods of focus where we know that they're their most uh, transportation challenge, as well as additional funding of $100,000 uh, in our equity-based transition transportation pass to help people to uh, more equitably access some of those micro-mobility programs. And you'll hear later on about uh, one of the benefits of ARPA. It's, it's helped us with revenue replacement initially when we started talking about need for revenue replacement. It was primarily because of income tax loss, but we have also seen uh, from the pandemic the loss of revenue from parking, uh, particularly with the lack of uh, activation uh, during much of the pandemic. But we're slowly seeing some recovery, but there is some needed um, need to stabilize the parking fund. Um, we'll also have to have intentional conversations around our ridership um, with the DASH, as we are uh, right now about a third of what the ridership was prior to the pan pandemic. Uh, the micro-mobility usage is, is uh, significantly increased, but the DASH ridership has decreased. I do want to thank, uh, again, the, the team. Uh, these are only some, but it really takes the entire organization, all the department directors uh, that are here, uh, to really help us uh, lead this effort. I do appreciate the work of my executive office, uh, all of them in uh, their effort, and particularly the fiscal services staff, who have, uh, it seems like every year we prepare a budget and if something happens, we have to readjust the budget prior to uh, a, a presentation, and they have been very uh, flexible and agile, as well as our communications office, who's, who's been helping us throughout this. And it's because of them that we're able uh, to continue to um, achieve things, not as just an organization, but also with the partnership of our community members to make sure that we improve the quality of life in our community. We'll transition real briefly to uh, the financial plan, fiscal plan, and I'll have our CFO um, talk to us. But just, I just want you to, again, appreciate the process, uh, that this is something does not happen overnight. We've, uh, we'll need to um, share, we didn't have time this morning, but the, the the pictorial process that we uh, created, or the video that we created about the process that talks about all the intentionality of the feedback that you provide, the feedback that we get from some of our uh, commissions, the conversations that we hear even uh, on uh, the nights of city commission meetings that help to inform the budget rec recommendations. And this is in light of doing everything in the midst of um, economic uncertainties, recovering from the pandemic, but we are pleased that we've been able to maintain a strong bond rating and have not reduced any service levels. And uh, with, with all of the uncertainty, we are very 
uh, appreciative of the ARPA funds that helped to provide some economic relief, but also some of the additional state and federal funding that has been leveraged. And I've listed some of those, and we appreciate our legislative team and their advocacy in helping us uh, with this effort, both state and federal funding. You see several of the projects that are listed there as well as uh, the recent discussions that we've had around how to improve public safety reform. We know that this is not just a local initiative, only that there has to be change that occurs at the state and the federal area, uh, federal level around uh, policy that helps us to ensure that we're transparent and inclusive uh, in terms of uh, policing. These are some of the additional uh, policy efforts that they're working on now, and we will uh, be happy to discuss uh, where we are on these as we proceed with some of the work sessions. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to our CFO, Ms. Claren. Thank you. Okay, good morning. Um, We'll start out just by talking about the fiscal plan. Hopefully you've all, I don't expect you have read it. That's impressive, Mayor, if you've gotten through a good portion of it, only having it for 24 hours. But this is our fiscal plan. We break it down, as you can see on the slide, in these major areas. So it starts out with the manager's letter, and this is a great overview of um, our intentionality with the budget, where we're focusing spending on, um, lifting up those priorities, and uh, where we think we're heading in the next uh, five years. So um, then we get into a section called Budget Basics, and we have these all tabbed out for you that is a great highlight, and I say this just for the public's interest as well. Um, the guidelines we have when putting together the budget, it gives a good revenue overview, um, commentary on expenditures, and of course we um, lift up the strategic plan. We have the budget sliced and diced in different ways uh, by fund as well as by department. Uh, we have a section on grants as well as the authority budgets. And um, in the appendices, you'll find um, you know, more, more information on personnel, revenue, detail, things like that. And Ms. Claire, let me, uh, I forgot to emphasize to the commission, all the presenters, we did uh, even though there's lots of slides, we will not be going over every bullet on every slide, just the highlights. <laughs> yep. Yeah, of course. Um, moving on to the uh, financial highlights, as far as our revenue picture, from when I last saw you uh, presented for you at mid-year, uh, we were thinking we're going to land around 6% uh, for our income tax. That picture has improved. Uh, we're looking at 8% right now for our fiscal year 22 forecast. Um, this also includes $14.5 of revenue replacement we plan to allocate directly to the general fund. And then um, we have, uh, you know, been watching Mobile GR and the, you know, the parking revenues. They're continuing to lag, so um, trying to get, um, you know, help to them with revenue replacement as well. Uh, I am doing the application actually this week for the next tranche of the ARPA revenue. As you recall, we received half of it last May, so we expect to receive, um, I believe when I put the application in last year, we received that payment within two weeks, so expect to get it sometime during May. And as far as our, our pension funding, uh, the general pension and police and fire are sitting at 79 and 78% respectively with OPEB at 86%. 
Uh, this slide just gives an overview of some of the building blocks we think about when putting together the budget. One thing that is different this year is we did allocate a little bit more towards contingency because as you recall at mid-year we talked about supply chain shock going on, um, hard, to get, hard to get goods in the door um, that we're looking for as well as um, inflation that's, price, that's affecting pricing. So we are adding a, a bit more cushion this year just to be um, you know, conservative and, and we'll see what happens. Um, the other two graphs show our, our policy level uh, spending. Um, we want to keep our fund balance at 15% as a percent of general fund expenditures. With the impact of that ARPA revenue replacement, we're looking at 34.5%. Uh, for fiscal year 23 and the budget stabilization fund, obviously we haven't contributed um, to the budget stabilization fund. So um, that percentage, while we still have about 14.3 million in there, it's continuing to um, go down as expenditures rise. Our next slide is just our budgeting standards. These are your, you're fairly familiar with. Um, we do contribute at 100% of our computed um, um, the actuarial, actuarial computed employer contributions for the pension, for the pension, the retiree healthcare system, and um, you know we uh, do uh, graphically show the two maintenance of efforts um, commitments we have at the city. The top graph is of the the MO maintenance of effort for the parks. You can see that rising. It rises and falls with the movement of the general fund. So. Um, that's what's going on there. And then we have the Vital Streets contribution of 13 million over 15 years. As you recall, in fiscal year 21, they had to make a large bullet payment for debt service, so we front-loaded um, their annual contribution. That's why you see it um, go to zero in 22 through 24, but then we get back up to their regular um, funding level um, at 25 onward. Uh, next, just an overview of our staffing history since 2002. You can see as you go across, um, you know, while we have made staffing reductions um, relative to the, the growth of um, city population, we're at a ratio of about 0.84 today compared to where we were um, back in 2002. Uh, I, just briefly on the OPEB system, as I mentioned, we're 86% we're funded um, with an unfunded liability of uh, nearly uh, 13 million. Uh, a lot of that progress we've made since 2005 is attributed to 28% of the employees. That's, that's who's left in the defined benefit program while uh, we have people transitioning into that defined contribution. Um, this is, you know, showing that graphically how we are able to, um, you know, close the gap between our actuarial liabilities compared to those assets. And then with the pension system, we, you know, I briefly discussed this before, but here's showing um, that picture graphically as well. Here's the general system, and then the police and fire. So moving on to our revenues, uh, this is citywide revenues. So you'll see the largest pie, piece of pie there is our charges for services. That's so large because remember that includes our enterprises. So water, sewer, refuse, parking, all of those guys are in that, in that big piece of pie there. Whereas the next one is the city income tax. So um, as you know, if you look at um, income tax, this is divided among the general fund, capital reserve, vital streets, and sidewalk repair. 
and as you know, it is the main engine for the, for the general fund. Um, this is just another a view of showing how our property tax is used throughout the city. Um, for every dollar of property tax, you can see it's split up, so 29 cents of every dollar goes towards the general fund, followed by the library. Um, then we have the refuse fund, capital improvement fund, and the smallest piece is the parks fund. This is an updated view of our American Rescue Plan Act spending plan. Um, this looks slightly different from what I showed you at mid-year because as city manager noted about the participatory budgeting, for example, we've been in the design phase on a lot of these areas. Um, we expect more implementation and spending in the next year as we've um, really honed in on what's going on in each of these project areas and the best means of rollout. So. Uh, the, the top section shows our plan for revenue replacement. Um, currently, we, we're going across the general fund, mobile GR, and 61st district court. We did leave a allocation in there for other funds should we need, should we need to use it. Um, and then uh, the bottom section shows um, the, sa the same areas we've discussed before at, before at mid-year. But again, I'm just noting that uh, we did roll forward some of those categories uh, just just based on where they are at with their spending. Moving on to the five by five. So as I've mentioned before for fiscal year um, 21, we ended the year at 31.5% unassigned balance, fund balance as a percent of expenditures. You can see um, fiscal year 22, we were, um, well, in fiscal year 21, remember, we were being propped up by the CARES dollars. That's why you see that other revenues category at $59.3 million. Um, that includes, I think, uh, roughly $13 million of CARES for that year. So usually that other revenues category falls around $44, $45 million. Um, in 22, you can see now we transition over into that ARPA funding being put to work. So um, that's going across the forecast between fiscal year 22 and 24. Um, it, it's going to, you know, because we are using that, that results in us anticipating a surplus in fiscal year 22. And then as you can see for 23 and 24, we have near break even years. Um, the, and as you follow that surplus deficit line, that yellow highlighting line across the forecast, you can see once we um, can no longer rely on that, that ARPA assistance, we do have that deficit. So um, this forecast does, I'll talk about income tax, I believe, in my next slide, but um, it takes into account growth in income tax as well as um, you can see the growth in expenditures. But long story short, we have this deficit because our growth in expenditures is outpacing what we expect for revenue. So moving on to income tax. Um, the, I mentioned the 8% increase um, you know, over fiscal year 21. So that's what we, ex we expect to experience to, um, for 22. And then uh, the main reason for that is uh, we saw, you know, it's the impact of wage in increases. We see people filing um, two years of income tax currently. Um, they decided, decided to wait or they couldn't get assistance for all the, the various programs that's going on. So we are seeing people file for two years right now. So that's propping up. And then uh, less people are allocating low wages. So that's, called a, that's caused um, more of an influx of revenue in this, this particular year. We expect that to back off. Um, I will say one thing for fiscal year 22 is that 
we do expect to achieve at least 10 million in compliance revenue. So that's been our one-time, um, you know, button we've gone to to help um, prop up that that income tax go outside those outstanding uh, receivables for the city. Uh, going across the forecast, we expect 4% in fiscal year 23, and then as we've as we've heard from our um, uh, economic indicators and um, you know presentations throughout the throughout the winter, we do expect to see this uh, pullback um, and with inflation factors, that's why we're backing off that forecast, going to a, our, basically this is our 10-year average is 3%. So we thought we'd back off to the 3% average overall, rely on our um, reserves for now and see quite where we're heading as far as um, what kind of recession we would head into. And then as far as the compliance goes, again, that's one-time money, so we expect that to uh, spool off over time. So this just graphically shows our, our income tax revenue across the general fund. Just um, overall, it's slow and steady growth. And as far as our areas of concern, uh, we do have a lot of um, employees still choosing to allocate less than last year, but it's still a factor we're trying to get our arms around. Um, and then, yeah, what is what is going on? We have these geopolitical events, uh, risk of inflation, and supply chain issues that remain a concern. Um, and also being mindful of we can't be reliant on this um, one-time money of ARPA. We have to use that as a springboard to help us fix the future. So. Our fiscal plan summary, uh, as city manager mentioned, we're just shy of uh, $600 million uh, for our total citywide appropriation. Uh, this includes $163 million for specifically the general fund. And uh, again, uh, just some of our other, other um, you know, main tenants of, of what the building blocks are. One thing I haven't mentioned is our capital set aside. It's still at four and a quarter percent. This is consistent with what we budgeted for last year. Our policy level is five percent. So that's one thing to keep in mind um, as our, you know, asset management is, is something we're, you know, try to keep up with, uh, make sure we're taking care of our facilities and, and fleet at the city. So if we're backing down on those dollars, we eventually um, do want to build back towards the policy level. This is just not the year to do it. And I've already mentioned allocating more money towards, um, towards contingency just just for the unknown of the coming year. So our policy level is 1.5 billion. We're going to do 2.5. As far as affordability across the city, um, on our, our water, sewer, and property tax bills, this is going to work out to approximately $9 more a month per citizen. So. Uh, moving on to our horizon issues, um, I mentioned expenditures exceeding revenue. That's why we're in a deficit situation, especially in those out years. Uh, we're always mindful of, of keeping track of the state share revenue outlook. They usually do give us an updated forecast in mid-May, so we'll be looking towards that. I don't know if we'll receive it quite before we adopt the budget, but something to keep in mind. And um, yeah, will property taxes continue to be stable? They have been, um, you know, they are limited by um, our state statutes, which um, have have left them at. It's a very you know strong real estate market out there, but they're they're slow and steady for us. And then um, being tactical about where we apply that ARPA revenue. 
going forward. We are in union negotiations right now, so we may need to make future adjustments to the budget based on the outcomes of those. And um, again, making sure we're, we're honoring our um, OPEB and pension, um, our, you know, those, those costs, making sure we're keeping up with our contributions. So uh, as far as the rest of this, this we, we are currently um, funding some things like our hot team uh, with one-time money. That's one thing we're going to have to think about for building in long-term should this uh, program prove to be useful for the city. Uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of discussions around cannabis as well as the 201 market redevelopment and um, the site development out at the Road Commission. Um, and I mentioned that asset management plans remain a concern. Um, we're, we're, we're keeping an eye on fire department, street lighting, facilities management, and traffic safety. Those are areas where we've had to back off some spending just to adjust to what's going on. And um, again, the, the Grand River revitalization does take up a large portion of our capital spending right now at $7.14 million across the plan. So now I will turn it over to Ms. Stout. Thank you. All right. Good morning. Um, so assessing equity in our annual budget began in preparation for fiscal year 19 by asking each department to use an adapted equity toolkit from the Government Alliance on Race and Equity for one project or initiative in their budget. Approximately 35 submissions we received for the first two fiscal years of trying on this toolkit. For FY21, we expanded the process to include proposed budget allocations for those efforts, and we received 100 submissions, totaling a little over 14 million. The current fiscal year that we're in expanded to receive over 124 submissions, totaling 24 million that directly advance equity um, in our organization and community. The FY23 draft proposed budget has over 36 million efforts towards equity. This process also includes an analysis and discussion between the city manager department and my office of department workforce diversity da data, both currently at the time of the meeting and also trends over time. And then we also strategize um, opportunities to be more inclusive in our recruitment to help us get closer to demographically representing the diverse community that we serve. Just for shared understanding, equity projects um, are really those that focus on policy or practice change. Establishing data, so that's earlier in the equity spectrum, to establish data to make sure that we have good data, um, to identify disparities and make real-time decisions to adapt. Address root causes within our control, but also we have a lot of leverage outside, right? So how do these efforts to counter inequitable systems outside of our control? They also tend to include building equity capacity within that department, whether it's training, tools, software, et cetera. And also the intentionality to lead with equity in the beginning, right? So we talk about equity being a part of the DNA, you know, not something you do at the, at the, at the end. And inclusion and focus on those facing the worst of inequities. So when I say equity project, that's what I'm referring to. Many of the, so this was a theme last year and it continues to be a really positive theme. Many of the strategies are change in process or protocol that don't necessarily have a budget allocation but can have a strong impact. Again, if it's in the DNA of what we do, we're gonna hopefully see more and more of this actually. Such as you know updating the strategic plan to incorporate the welcome plan and strengthen the equity aspects as we continue to grow as an organization. A new trend that I noticed this year with the submissions is several strategies as we work in community in new and authentic ways 
Um, as we work on partnerships such as you know PBGR or Cure Violence, the dollars actually don't come to the city. We're, we're, we're leveraging our influence, but those dollars actually go directly to the community and to organizations to help build their capacity. And I think that's a, an emerging trend that is positive. I'd also like to, as you hear me say often, racism is deep and pervasive in systems, all systems, such as education, healthcare, banking, or just capitalism in general, and of course, government. So we are still on this journey and um, working aggressively to move forward. So as always, there is room to improve both the strategies I'm going to share, um, but also the intentionality to lead with equity among all departments, including the office I have the absolute honor to lead, the Office of Equity and Engagement. So I'm excited to present to you today. So with government excellence, which is on page uh, 31 of the, of the budget letter, um, there, there's several here that are listed. Those that I like to lift up are the equity analyst position, uh, city manager mentioned. So this is more of a general. We have a river equity analyst that's really focused on the river, but this is a new one that's more broad to help build capacity of departments as they revise or create policy to do it with an equity lens, but to walk alongside those departments, right, um, is, is really important. Um, the next one I'd like to highlight are the trainings. All of these trainings are not coming from the Office of Equity Engagement. We're seeing more um, sector-specific trainings emerging, whether it's building inspections or library services. But the Equity Champions is a great model to for those that have had some foundational or intermediate DNI training to say, how do we take this and apply it to policy and practice, and then have a project within their department to apply that learning. So really excited, and this is not this is for like middle management because it's also a part of our succession planning. So as we do promotions, we know we're promoting those that have equity experience, not just a heart for it. And then the last three bullets really around um, undoing some of the harm and trying to make our justice system more just, right, with clean slate and expungement. The next part is on page 32. The first four bullet bullets I'd like to um, just kind of elevate as far as economic prosperity, because this is really about having people be housed and or being able to stay in their home, which is just critically important because stable housing is key to economic prosperity. So I just wanted to elevate um, the, the efforts and the investments that we're making there as well among those on the slide. On page uh, 32 and 33 of the budget letter, um, really excited for this first one. Um, we have um, an opening in the Office of Equity Engagement that we're retooling to have that person really focus on economic engagement. And I hope to have that um, posted very soon and um, very excited for that one. All of them, but that one I'm really excited about. <laughs> um, of course, participatory budgeting, which we talked about, and um, the engagement both for local communities of color, but those also that identify and are of immigrant and refugee community is really important. So I'm excited for OPA to have that investment. And then, of course, the digital divide is real, especially in a time where we're still in a pandemic and many things are virtual. So continue to expand broadband internet service is really critical for those in school, work, and just life. Health and environment. Um, I'd like to lift up the water bill and refuge financial assistance. Utility bills across the board, whether they're city or across, continue to rise. But water is so essential to life and health. And so I'm just really excited that we're able to um, offer these resources to the community, as well as lead line um, Led service line replacements within the neighborhoods of focus in the third ward. This is a could be a huge cost to homeowners, and I'm very thankful that we have that grant to really invest um, to take care of that really important cost. Okay, keep going. 
Mobility, uh, city manager did touch on it. I was going to lift up the equitable transportation pass program. Mobility is important to get to jobs, schools, the parks, right? That, that wellness that we, people get from the parks and just anywhere where they need to go. And so really excited um, that we're trying to create a multimodal uh, way to get to where we need to get to for our residents. And so, um, and working in partnership with local organizations to really connect to community to make sure that those passes get in the hands of those that need it. For safe community on page 34, um, I talked about those partnerships with community. I think cure violence is a great way and it's a robust model um, to stop and prevent violence and getting at some of the core roots. Of course, the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability, their very, their origin story, right, is around equity and accountability and, and trying to make the justice system more just, right? So um, the entire office. And also, um, Mental health, um, both before the pandemic and during the pandemic, it's real. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful that there's more conversations happening in different communities around mental health, that it we're, not, we're trying to destigmatize it. So having this um, uh, Network 180 mobile crisis response is critically important so folks can get the service that they need and deserve. And then lastly for this, it's the specific model. So due to economic inequities outside of our control, not everyone can afford to stop work paid to go to the academy, you know, and then go to that academy. So uh, this model is we actually hire folks that want to be um, a police officer. We hire them, and while they're on the payroll, we pay for them to go to the academy, and then we continue on with the training. So the model itself is kind of um, to overturn some of the inequity and barriers that we see. And, th and those cohorts are more diverse than the general department um, population. Additional highlights, again, no specific budget allocation besides staff time. Um, this is going to be a game changer, embedding equity in professional services for city projects in the RFPs, the contract selection, contract deliverables, et cetera. This is a big game changer for us. Really excited to see Mobile GR's work to review the fees, fines, and related policies and practices right, that are corrective in nature to assess if there's a disparate impact and make policy change recommendations recommendations to eliminate that bias. A $40 ticket to some feels different th than it does to others, right? And so how are we uh, adjusting for that? Again, restructuring our RFPs and contracts to be more accessible to small businesses, such as breaking down large bids into smaller contracts, and departments coming together to kind of group work. And so I think that's a great way our departments are collaborating as well. I'd like to lift up today, and, and more often in the future, the Department of Law under City Attorney, the engagement program, or CEP. One of the examples here is um, last year, over 1,100 individuals um, got the option of diversion. That's 1,100 people that do not have additional charge on their record, which is life-changing, right? We know that once you get a record, it's hard to get housing and jobs, and there's just this um, avalanche of difficulties. So um, that's just one of the data points, and so really a, a great program, so thank you. And of course, the welcome plan that we're working on and the equity um, champions projects, um, whether it's a more intentional recruitment for the fire department, sending a list of all the financial assistance that we offer in the, in, in the summer bills, the tax bills, to let everyone know at a glance, like this is what you need, right? These are different opportunities. And having our dashboards get more deeper into data so we can make data-informed decisions among many. Again, these are just highlights. Next. Um, and so to go deeper into one example is our micro-local business enterprise policy revision. Since the adoption of uh, the strategic plan, we have had over 200% growth in MLBs registered um, and getting certified with the city. That is 
that is wonderful. <laughs> that is exactly, yes, it's, it's a huge increase. Um, so we are amending administrative policy to adapt for the success, to do an annual review. So we review the businesses and kind of go through their, their documents and that sort of thing. We're going to switch it to a three-year cycle because reviewing every year for a business is actually quite burdensome for that business because these are smaller in, in nature. And then it's also more realistic because as the number of MLBEs increased, you know, our staff is not. <laughs> so just to be really open, it's more realistic for all. Additional strategies, we've really been focusing on registration. Um, we also want to add a, a heavy focus on utilization. It's great to have them in our system, but let's use them, right? Let's utilize that. So we're going to focus on that. Um, supporting um, the selection of the new ERP system to really capture that data as vendors that are registered and be able to report out the current system is very difficult. Um, embed equity and professional services that we talked about. We talked about contracts. And then um, Mr. A.J. Hills and, and Payday Cottle from my office working with other departments such as comptroller and purchasing to do these trainings with colleagues and boards and commissions on how do you find these diverse and smaller businesses and use them. And then, of course, the work C.R. Adkins and others with the Grand River equity efforts to make sure that there's equity in that project in the river and along the banks. So these are just some of the highlights. And I would like to thank my colleagues um, who all submitted this and the back and forth. It's, it's a great opportunity and very honored to get to know them in this way. Okay, uh, Mayor, we'll pause for questions. I do want to just highlight that last uh, policy, future policy change, was a result of an internal audit uh, that we responded to that really highlighted some of the systematic things that were well intended at the time but not practical in helping us continue to uh, expand equity for among small business owners. All right. <clears throat> thank you, City Manager. Thank you, Ms. Stout and Ms. Claren. Um, so first off, uh, thank you for this really thorough presentation that highlights all of the work being done throughout the entire organization. Uh, I think it captures a lot of the priorities that we around this table have talked about, uh, not just this past year, but for the past several years. Uh, so I really appreciate that. I'll start with just a concrete question, and then I'll turn to my colleagues to see if they have questions or comments. Um, going back to revenue sharing, I know that there was an increase last year at the state. There's also uh, a proposed increase uh, for this year. I know it hasn't been passed yet in the state budget. But can we get a sense of kind of the history of revenue sharing and where we are projecting it to be, even if it's, um, so I, I saw a little bit in one of the slides, but I didn't see a year over year where we used to be uh, a decade ago, where we are today, and where we think uh, those numbers will be in the next three years. And I don't know in the chart, is that part of other revenues? We It is part of other revenues. It's not broken out anymore. It's not broken out. I know in the past we have included a graph to show where yeah. we were, were over time. I think at mid-year I might have used the graph to show, um, I believe in 2020, 21, they were, or I'm trying to think, we had a dip. Um, the, the state sometimes goes to that bucket to, yeah. you know, pay for other things. It's like, what about us? Um, but uh, they did backfill it, I believe, in 21 with CARES dollars. So that's why we saw that uptick in other revenues. Um, some of that was attributed to the um, what they backfilled with CARES dollars. And we received more than what we expected. Right. So um, I can provide, though, the, um, the current forecast we're working off of as follow-up. 
usually I'm used to those three graphs, uh, income tax, property tax, and revenue sharing. Uh, which we can get that for you, Mayor. Yeah, we sure. know make up the, the vast majority of the general fund. So thanks. Mm -hmm. I just think it's good for us to have a good sense of those three different buckets and Absolutely. where they've been and where we hope that they go or mm -hmm. project they go. Yep. Um, thank you for that. All right, commissioners, I'll open it up for questions or comments uh, before we move to the next section. Commissioner? Good morning, everybody. Wake up. <laughs> I just have a couple questions. Um, on slide 33, um, I didn't quite understand the front-loading piece for Vital Streets in um, 2022. I remember us doing this at the onset of Vital Streets before the money, the revenue was generated, but I'm not sure in the middle of vital streets, why we would have the need to do that. I wasn't sure if you were gonna give me a list. Um, uh, with oh, I could, <laughs> <laughs> you know me, you're, that's you're, true. You're switching things up on me. I am, I am. <laughs> um, um, as far as vital streets goes, uh, we, uh, just because of the, the projects that had to come in play leading up to that big bullet bond payment, I believe the former CFOs uh, uh, was chasing a yield. So that's why the debt was structured that way. So long story short, basically there wasn't enough reserve held in the fund where we had to go ahead and just access this revenue, kind of give the Vital Streets program a loan um, in order to make that bond payment. So so it was, it was um, yeah, we just didn't have enough of the So it finally caught up with there. us essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, good question. Then, um, the other question is on the um, slide 44. This is the um, surplus and deficit. Um, and just kind of looking at the forecast for 2025 and beyond, well, even 2024, um, I'm assuming this doesn't take into account um, annually what we would put in surplus then. Is that, am I reading the highlighted Line correctly annually. What we would the surplus deficit is simply what is going to be contributed to the fund balance of the general fund. It doesn't have anything to do with like the budget stabilization fund. If that's okay. where you're getting at. Yeah. So um, one thing I will note that it didn't uh, mention is we cannot contribute to the budget stabilization fund until we're able to achieve operating revenues that exceed operating expenditures. <coughs> so because we're being propped up right now by okay. grant revenue, we're not able to make that contribution. So in um, to, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how this picture changes and I'll definitely <laughs> let you know, cause obviously we like having that rainy day fund and we want to get back to policy level, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, right now, yeah, we're, we're propped up by that ARPA revenue. So, okay. Yeah. Commissioner, if I could add, please. So as I look at the five by five, if in the structural deficit, if we fix fiscal year 25, mm -hmm. it will address 26 and 27. So we really have about $11 million gap okay. to close if the revenue assumptions are in line with the conservative projections. As CFO mentioned, 8% this year, 3% in out years. If we don't outperform those assumptions and we hold expenditures where projected, we'll have to close that. I feel pretty confident. You all have seen over the past three budgets, we've closed $30 million deficits, $20 million deficits. I feel pretty confident that that will be uh, not an insurmountable um, 
change to address if needed. At that time. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And then slide 57, um, under the broadband internet services, I know um, last week at the um, State of the County, mm -hmm. um, they were mentioning um, prioritizing um, broadband as well. So I'm just curious to know what conversations are we having with the county to, um, I, for me, it just seems easy, right? Like I'm thinking I call Xfinity and I get broadband and I'm done. And it just seems like this conversation has been, you know, two and a half, three years in the making and it doesn't feel as though an, enough broadband um, um, progress has been made with the exception of um, the broadband, I don't know, networks that we had in the parks, the neighborhood parks. So I think I thought that was a really good plan. So I'm just curious to know, 100,000 doesn't seem like a lot. Um, I don't even know why we would even need to um, contribute to it financially if the county is prioritizing this. And um, how do we put some light under whoever's role it is to make sure that this is done sooner than later? Yeah, um, absolutely. I know we are going to discuss this at a later budget presentation. Um, uh, what that 100000 is right now is our current plan to roll out broadband specifically in the parks. So it is that money is going to be Same. housed in the okay. Parks and Rec Department or managed by them. So, but we can get you more information as far as uh, there has been some coordination with the county. So that, that's one thing that's been tricky with the ARPA revenue. Everyone's received an allocation. So they're always calling up each other like, what are you doing? So we'll compensate over here, you know, those kind of things. But if, we'll I, re sure. if I remember right, um, sorry, City Manager, if I remember correctly, the county helped initially with some of the equipment for mm -hmm. the hotspots in the public spaces. Okay. They did that countywide, but then they said if you want to continue the service, mm -hmm. it would ultimately be the, the individual communities. Um, so they did, uh, we did end up uh, using about 57000 from the county's CARES allocation specifically yes. to kickstart yeah. that parks rollout. Yeah. So, yeah. so now that they have more money and fewer people to divvy it out to, perhaps they can fully fund it and fund it broadly enough that it'll make the impact that we're all saying we know is needed. Yeah. That's yeah. great. City Manager, did you have follow-up? Yeah. yeah, I was just going to comment that we will follow up with County Administrator Vandenberg about the implementation plan and have Mr. Matthews give the update when we do the section on governmental excellence. Thank you. Great, thanks. Did you I'm have any set. All set, thank you. Okay. I'm going to come over here to Commissioner Jones and then I'll come over here to Commissioner Asasi. Try to make sure I turn to both sides uh, of the, the dais. Go ahead. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you to... Uh, City staff thus far for the presentations on this morning. Curious about, uh, first and foremost, page 50, or I'm sorry, slide 54. Um, Ms. Stout, you mentioned um, the under equity projects addressing root cause within our control. I would love to hear more about that. I tend to believe that we um, are probably best, or in our, if, if, if the goal is to bring about real change, it is to further address root cause and just if you can give me some example of ways in which we are looking to address it, and I'd like to perhaps see if in the future we can address it in an even greater degree. So just, just wondering. Commissioner Jones, I feel like you and I could talk all day the root cause, I think we know, right? Uh, racism, 
right? It's the root cause. And so within our power of control, we're over today, the budget. We are also over as we think about policy. And I think um, city managers' investment for more engagement is going to help us have a broader perspective on what equity means in real life every day in the, in the neighborhoods. Um, to As we look at this policy, how is it going to have direct impact? Right, like direct, not, not trickle down or in 10 years, how is it going to have immediate impact, long-term impact, working with communities? So I think our, 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 um, within our control is who we co-create with is within our control, how we invest, how we show up in community. I think the equity champions, I mean, that was part of the analysis, right? So they think they're going to do one project. And then they start going through the layers of like, oh, it's, it's expansive, right? So how are we going to work on this piece knowing that we'll do this next piece next time. So I think the equity champions is a good model. And that's all the departments have opportunity to be in, involved with that. Um, and I think also change making, movement making, right? So it's more awareness. It's more um, eyes open to it. Um, everyone's uh, lived reality is different, right? I think about race every day um, as, as a brown woman uh, raising brown children. Um, so that's my lens. I, I, every day I think about it, right? on and off the clock. So I think that's just a few high-level examples. It's the approach to the work. But we are over policy. We are over budgets. We are over you know, where we recruit from. We're over a lot of things. And so we do have a lot of power. Um, and so I don't want to minimize that. And we're within systems, right? We're local government, within county government, within state government, national government. And so we're also within systems. So we need to identify where's our power, um, leverage it, and then where do we have influence? And like you were saying, Commissioner Lanier, earlier, leverage it. Another question is um, regarding the equity analyst position. Just in general, are we reviewing all of our all of our policies in each department? Is that part of our work? Is that part of the, the future plan? Yes, with more capacity. So we, I like to count how many policies we have to go through. It's, I almost don't want to count actually. It's several, several hundred. <laughs> um, so I think the plan right now is that she's still onboarding. So let's be. She's onboarding. Um, the plan, she's going to be over the equity champions because what that does is it helps departments be able to review their own policies okay. through a lens and create tools. So when we come to present to you, you know, you know how you used to do A3s? Um, it would be like an equity analyst. So it's not always the Office of Equity Engagement. If the Office of Equity Engagement is the only office that does equity work, we failed, right? It's all of our work. So, um, but to get to your point, long-term vision, yes, we want every policy reviewed. I think we're going to start with prioritizing those with the most impact. Okay, very good. Thank mm -hmm. you. Great, great yeah. question. Uh, Commissioner Isasi and then Commissioner O'Connor, do you have Okay. So Commissioner Isasi, then O'Connor. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I wanted to add my thanks to everyone, all the work that's gone into this, and um, kind of that reflection mark, uh, city manager of you know, these budgets over the course of years that have not been sort of normal. Um, and so I appreciate all of you saying what was considered normal. We don't want that to be our future normal. Uh, Ms. Stout, you talked about policies and uh, the reflection that these are things that uh, we have created and some of, not all of us necessarily in these same places, um, but what's in our circle of influence, our circle of concern and our circle of control. So thank you for saying that. Um, I did want to pick up where Commissioner left off, Commissioner Lanier left off on the broadband perspective, because I think this is where, um, when I think about community engagement and the education to residents about, appreciate the little dollar infographics, Ms. Claren, about where 
are their dollars going? So we can talk about what are investments that we made, because I remember in the broadband pieces, we selected specific parks and we try to make it geographically based upon the city and, and where was that impact. But then um, to your point, Commissioner Lanier, what are we contributing? What is the county contributing? What are residents contributing to both our city and also to the county? And I'd like to make sure that we understand that um, in the best way. Uh, so I just wanted to affirm that, Commissioner Lanier. Um, going, I'm going to hold all the ones for policing until the next section, right? Okay, just yeah. wanted a <laughs> point of order on that. Um, on the language access piece, I appreciate this. I think, um, I can't remember what meeting it was, but I, I know maybe it was in the mid-year review um, asking Mr. Matthews about what does that utilization look like? Because I think it's not only that we offer it, how is it being utilized? And recognizing not only the language perspective, but the nuances of how this meeting, how our meetings are held. Um, honestly, I think until... Commissioner Lanier helped me back when you were elected. Many things are confusing about the order and the process and, and uh, pieces. You know, even sometimes we ask ourselves, is it is it is it table is it postpone? Um, so looking at language is utilization, um, access utilization, and then um, how do we take in the information? I think would be important to that. So that would be something I'd be looking for. But I'm certainly supportive of that. Um, on the dash operations piece, city manager, will we discuss that more fully? You had mentioned the th a third, were you at a one third utilization? Okay, so I'll hold that question. Um, and then I think my last question is oh, well, I have two more questions. So the, la the next one is around, um, you know, obviously embedding equity and, and you. We're seeing that this is a long process to get to the equitable results we want to have. So, Ms. Doubt, you talked about year over year and where we're at um, and what city staff are working on. I also am wondering how does that correspond to, we talked about other funds that we leverage. Certainly some organizations are coming, like they maybe have been created or co-created uh, due to an equity consideration, but those that might not have been, how do we make sure that they're also living out those values of equity? Um, if we're leveraging dollars with them or if they're receiving dollars to support something from the city. So I'd like to understand that because I think if we're going to do it internally, we should also be asking those partners what their plans are and how they intend to make best use of those dollars. So I'm thinking of things, you know, in our economic development department, other funds that we've leveraged, like through congressional dollars and just making sure that if we're going to say this, that still is a reflection of our work. And then my last question and then I have one statement, is on the Black Business Expo African American Task Force, um, just wondering how that connects to some of the other RFPs that we reviewed in the mid-year re regarding the revolving loan fund and the RFP from economic development. Um, through day job, I think what I've been able to find is at least one of the corridor improvement authorities, um, they were thinking about their facade improvement programs. and. People want to access it, but they're unable to leverage that money out of their own pocket initially, and so then they don't use it. And then <laughs> it's, it's Southtown is the one that we've been talking to, um, and so we have this program, but we're not able to utilize the dollar. So how do we bring in some of those other entities that are in our sort of bubble of economic development because we have the funds there, but we can't always leverage them in the right way. So I want to make sure that those pieces are connected. 
Um, and I think that is some of what we were looking to do, again, in my day job of uh, how do we either create loans that are zero interest so then people can utilize that. It's guaranteed money. We know it's coming in and, and get the, those facade dollars out the door. And then I just want to affirm all the work with the um, MLBE um, items that you talked about. So you talked about not only increasing it, but utilization. So again, I think going deeper into what is that equity journey, I also would say, um, city manager, I support us looking at all of our economic development investments that we have, which this is a new program. So to look at the investments that have been made, um, I know um, this, is, this has been a short journey, but we also have other investments that are in our city that I think we need to continue to evaluate and make sure um, that we're living up to those, the reasons that we supported it. So the types of jobs, you know, the amount of dollars that are being spent for wages. Um, so I would just support that generally too. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think I'll turn to Ms. Um, Stout and then a city manager. Well, Did was, you want to start? I was just Go going ahead. to say perhaps uh, on the ones that relate to economic prosperity, we I see the staff taking note and we'll make sure we address those on the 10th okay. uh, specifically. Okay. Now, if there's other things related to equity that you want to address now, but we'll, all the other questions around business development, we'll make sure we include that on, on the 10th. Great, great. So I did get the list, so thank you. So most of those were gonna, um, um, but I can speak to the language services. So this current fiscal year, we have a draft policy and then we did a pilot to see how it would work. And we had um, three, one, I almost don't wanna list them, but like 311, the planning department, Mobile GR, my office. And one other one, sorry, I'm forgetting. Um, so they did a pilot to say, okay, if this was policy was real now, what would that look like? And so one example is um, planning. I mean, they went, they've dozens and dozens of documents they've been translating, um, just all their applications and their forms and, and making it um, not just in Spanish, but readable. Because sometimes things in English, it's like, English is my first language, and I don't even know what some documents say, right? Um, and so that's just one example of how we're testing the rollout. Um, but it does cost financial resources. So to start mid-year, when they already had their set budget, we're starting in the new fiscal year to um, have that administrative policy go through. And then, of course, training, because it's a new way to be, right? And we got to practice that, that muscle um, and having information really available. Anything from, you know, at the service windows to have many languages, and they can point to their language and everyone knows how to call the language line, right? Or the Hispanic Center, which is one of our providers. So there's gonna be a lot of education and training around the rollout. And we'll continue to iterate and adapt just like we do this process. Thanks, thanks, Ms. Um, Dowd. And I'll, I'll just add, I know many of us have been a part of uh, community conversations over the last uh, couple weeks, especially with our uh, immigrant and refugee communities, and translation services has been a key issue that many people have talked to us about. So I think it's incumbent on us to do what we can um, here within the city, uh, but then also to encourage and work with our partners at the county and the state level, especially our Secretary of State, um, one, to bring those concerns to her attention, but then to also to make sure that they have interpretation services in multiple languages to help people at every level of government. So we have that on our list of items to follow up with, um, both at the county level and the state level. So just know that that's on our, I think many of us have a long to-do list uh, based on some of the conversations we're recently having, but that one is definitely on mine. So I just wanted to add that to the conversation. Uh, and now I'll turn it to Commissioner O'Connor. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you for this information thus far. Look forward to continuing the dialogue around this. Just a, a couple quick kind of high-level top questions for me are um, as it relates to the 
you know, our savings, which again, I always appreciate the, the conservative nature of our fiscal department in ensuring we have uh, adequate money set aside for uncertainties, which obviously we're living through currently. Um, but just given the high, you know, we have a, a, a policy goal of 25% fund balance when we're going to sit at around 34% based on this budget, which is laudable and great. But then, you know, to hear you say 4.25 annual income income tax capital set aside and then uh to say we don't have any money to fund that is i mean it's it's yes and no i mean it's it's about how we prioritize correct and if if fund balance are general fund dollars that are set aside and are flexible and we have a policy to have uh, a certain percentage set aside of income tax i mean i do the math on that that tells me that three quarter points is uh, about eight hundred thousand bucks uh not really that big of a deal in a 56 million dollar surplus fund balance and then same, I think, goes for the budget stabilization fund, which again was something you know, the mayor and her colleagues set up during the last uh, financial crisis to ensure that we can weather uncertainty. Uh, you know, we're only a point, you know, projecting a point down on that. I mean, that's about about, about a million six. So, uh, you know, all in, we're a little over, you know, two million bucks, two point what, uh, whatever that ends up being, two point four million out of a fifty-six million dollar surplus. Uh, we can still have a thirty-one percent general fund savings and fully fund uh, the other things to our policy levels. So to me, that just seems like, again, it's all the same money. It's all available for us to use. But, I, it, but if we have a policy and we have the ability to meet the policy and to know that those are, it restricts those funds so that they can't be, uh, they can't be spent uh, in, a, in a manner that's not consistent with what our policy says. I just feel like we should, we should do that if we can, sure. knowing that there's, you know, there's still a surplus in excess of our, our typical 25% you know, policy that gives us flexibility with flexible dollars, but ensures that the, the things that we said we're going to commit to to the to taxpayers, we do. So, so we we do have a plan to scale back into that. That's across the five-year. I'm trying to remember how quickly we get to the... 5%, I believe it's by year four of the five-year plan. So we did um, decide to start shifting back that way. We did not want to present a, um, a budget that shows a, a deficit for fiscal year 23, um, but recognizing that we are allocating ARPA in there, that's that's helping us achieve a surplus. So um, we didn't do, we didn't, no, we didn't change that that allocation for this fiscal year um, as far as our those asset classes that are behind uh, I think preliminarily we were thinking about using those uh, revenue recovery dollars to help fund any asset classes that are lacking we've done that with the uh, mobile GR but uh, we'll be looking at street lighting and probably traffic safety in the coming year so I'd expect to see budget amendments related to those if, if we do have pressing projects so my yeah. follow question. Sure. My other follow-up question is it just relates to the, uh, you know, the out-year projections for income tax growth. Uh, you know, understanding again, we are in an inflationary environment, uh, which is causing you know everything to rise, uh, and yet we, you know, I assume that uh, you know wa wages are somewhat keyed to you know rising levels of inflation on cost of goods. So uh, to say that we have a a four or three percent increase when we know that inflation is you know currently exceeding that seems like we're you know we're not we're not being honest about what we think real wages are going to grow in the next you know at least two or three years mm -hmm. so i just you know again not that that necessarily impacts i know that that's a good year it's a, it's a conservative accounting move on our part but right. it, it still feels like uh you know 
we like we, 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 we like to make decisions based on this five-year out curve, but if we're not making decisions based on a real five-year out curve and we're being overly conservative on that, then it seems like we're, uh, we like to, we then predict, uh, you know, that we're going to run a deficit in five years. Well, we're not really going to run a deficit in five years because Ms. Plan wouldn't let me run a deficit in five years if she had anything. <laughs> if I had a crystal ball, um, you know, we put together this forecast based on the best information we had at the time. So um, that, that, and that's, that's why I qualify when I explain the forecast is, we do have these reserves, so we can choose to be conservative and see what happens. So that's that's why we shaped our, our forecast as we did with the ARPA dollars, helping to fill in the gaps. Um, you know, and we're not overcorrecting; we're not oversteering the ship right now, making huge, um, you know, corrections. You know, staff layoffs or you know, service reductions or anything like that, because we know we have time. And uh, working with, you know, Mr. Matthews, who heads up the innovation department, we're going to look at ways to just be more efficient as a city as well, still work on achieving cost savings and hopefully correct for that in the future. But we know we have time. So, so yeah, you, you could argue my, my estimates are, are conservative, but I also know... You know, we we are a dynamic organization where we do we do move around and change our allocations. I um, since I've been CFO, I think I've been talking to you guys about quarter almost quarterly of okay, here's where we're at now because we do have a uncertain. You know, it's been a it's been a rocky path. You know, um, this is my. I believe third budget with, uh, and they've all been during, you know, city manager was talking, they've all been crazy. I'm like, yeah, they have been. I feel like I've been here 15 years. So, so we're still figuring it out, but, um, yeah. If, yeah, know, if we could yeah. go, go ahead. City manager. So to go back to the first point on <laughs> policy, um, cause I've heard this from other commissioners with our surplus, uh, funding in reserves. If there's a desire to, Put more in a budget stabilization, a million, two million. We can do that. What I think it will show is a wider um, deficit. That couple of million dollars will be reflected in the forecast years on 25, 26. Apart from adjusting the revenue projections, so I'm I'm comfortable either way. The money's going to be there, and if it makes this body feel like we would be more disciplined in future years to pull from the stabilization fund and versus having a discretionary annual budget, that's fine. $11 million, $13 million gap to close is essentially the same for me. Yeah. All right. Thanks, City Manager. And uh, Commissioner O'Connor, I, I hear what you're saying, uh, and I feel like we do have this conversation every year that we, um, every uh, budget year. Uh, and I, I think you make a good point. I think the other thing I think about is when we look at our revenue streams, income tax tends to be the most volatile, and we know that. And we've seen pretty significant um, highs and lows and fluctuations. And so it, it is, it, it, in my opinion, out of property tax and revenue sharing and income tax, it's the most debt uh, challenging, I would say, to predict accurately. Um, hopefully these are conservative numbers and they come in higher. And as we look at the out years, those numbers, the deficit is much smaller, but uh, it's a it's a hard issue. Yeah, I will just add, um, me and my deputy to go, go back to see, okay, what of our predecessors have, you know, estimated and during that 11-year um you know, period of economic expansion and stuff. They never estimated the the out years above two, two and a half percent. And over like 
are we being too aggressive? You know, so so it is a you know. Interesting. I remember this conversation <laughs> with Scott Buer yep. and with Jeff, and now with yep. you. So it's it's a long-standing <laughs> conversation that we've had. Oh sure. Uh, and we have to take into consideration we've done more compliance work, and that's one-time mm -hmm. dollars as well. So it, yep. it, it is, I understand the difficulty. Yeah. Commissioner, and then I'll go over here to Commissioner. Yeah, one other question just to follow up on the um, uh, the OPEB funding as well. I mean, again, work that was done 15 years ago to, to uh, during the last economic downturn to set us on a course for uh, not having this unfunded liability someday. And, you know, the trend lines continue to get closer and closer. What do you, when do you anticipate the, you know, getting to 100% uh, based on the current trend? And then does that uh, have a, I mean, what is the out year financial impact of that, knowing that we're not going to have as much uh, liability we're responsible for on a year-to-year -year basis? And how does that impact, you know, those out years? Because I feel like it's going to fall somewhere in your five by five. Sure, sure. And and I don't want to misspeak, so I can follow up with GRS, get, get the get the forecast. I know they talked to us briefly about that last last summer, but um, I'll, uh, I'll, I can follow up with you on that. Um, I do know that when we were, when we did, um, in the city's history, when we did get to a state of being more than 100% funded, we chose not to, you know, as the body chose not to do a contribution into the fund because it's, it's good. It's earning. It's earning interest. It's able to support itself. So that's that's a discussion we would have at that point if we do want to forego doing a, mm -hmm. you know, ongoing, con you know, not put so much, you know, keep building on that if it's already 100% funded. So it will. It could potentially provide relief though to the rest of the city. Yeah. Well, again, I don't think I'm advocating either way on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether whether we should sure. stop making a payment. I'm just. I just wonder what when the lines cross. Right. Yeah. It, it, anticipated for the lines to cross, and then what does is there a is there a policy decision that we have to make uh, as, in terms of do we continue? To, like I know on the pension side, a policy was changed a you know, decade ago to ensure that we can't not keep making a, a, a pension payment. Uh, but I don't know how that you know. I don't know what the OPEP policy is on. Yeah, and, and definitely I can, I can follow up with more information if we've ever um, put through a policy of what what we decide to do do when. I know the city in the past, as far as financially, likes to have the flexibility to. Um, change course if they need to, but um, we yeah. are they. Yeah. We are they, Molly. Huh? We, we are they. Oh, we are they. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. I'm we, talking we to the they. third person. So, so <laughs> let me let me just say, uh, Mayor, what we can, as she said, mm -hmm. get the projections on the annual required contributions to see if there is um, at the current rate. Right. When will we meet our 100 percent of our annual requirement? Mm -hmm. But just to be clear, we have a well-funded plan. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, comparatively I, to other cities, that's true. I actually would like to see the trend line for both the OPEB as well as the general pension fund. Sure. Uh, obviously, we made changes to those funds uh, with the intent of having more um, long-term sustainability. So it'd be nice to know when those trend lines do, when we get to 100% funded, and then how much that frees up in our general fund. Sure. So... Okay, thanks. Uh, Commissioner Ruppert? Yeah, thanks, Mayor. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Ms. Stout. Uh, I have just one comment, and John took two of my questions, and then I have one other one. But um, I think that uh, for me, when I, when I think about how do we move faster than incremental change for systemic change, we have a shining example here in what we've done with our equity investments. And so... I want to make a strong thank you to the city manager for running with that, 
to Stacy Stout for doing that capacity building department to department uh, because that's how we move faster than incremental change. That's how we build synergy. That's how we build intersectionality. And I, I still think that, you know, uh, Ms. Sutter had a lot of bullets under health and environment. And I think that we can take that same model and leverage it for our climate goals and our sustainability goals. And the same is true for public safety. I mean, the mobile GR department stepped up. If, if, I think that if, if we want to eliminate and alleviate some pressure on our department, mobile GRs raised their hand and said, we'll take parking tickets. We're going to put more lights in our parking garages. We're, planning department's got the SEPTED program. And so I think that there's a couple of other opportunities to, to implement that same system to increase our, our speed of change from incremental to something beyond that. So that's a huge, a huge win. There's a hundred things to celebrate in there and I can't name them all, but I wrote, I wrote them all down. Um, thank, John's was quicker on the math with me around, I was going to ask the question around the, what would it take to get to meet our, our goals and our, and check in about our liability. The question I have is a remaining is around the ARPA funding that's that's remaining. I want to just make sure I get that chart right. As I see it, after we approve this budget, we'll still have about 30 million in hand. Is that correct, City Manager? 20 that is unallocated, four for the courts, and six as a contingency. Is that, I just want to make sure that I'm getting so that right. That's projected for the next couple of years. Okay, yeah. that's great. Thank you. All right, commissioners, I think I'm going to close this section and we're going to move now to public safety. Uh, and so again, uh, thank you both for all of your work uh, and for the presentation, uh, very helpful. And I'll turn it to our city manager to tee up the conversation around public safety. Okay, I'm going to ask all the public safety departments to <clears throat> come to the front. They're all doing the Canfield stroll. Yes. Commissioners, do we need a break? I see some journey. You want to take okay, a Okay, why don't minutes? we take a two minute, while you all are getting set up, why don't we take a two minute restroom break? All right. And coffee break. So two minutes. Right back in there.
All right. Oh, I wasn't Commissioner Moody just here. Where'd he go? All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back together uh, because I know some of us have hard stops at noon today. So we'll go ahead and get started. We have um, Chief Winstrom. The first time we're seeing him in a uniform. So uh, congratulations to you uh, and DC Rogers and Mr. Brandon Davis. Uh, so we'll move forward starting with the city manager to open up this section of our presentation today. Uh, and then turn it over. Thank you, Mayor. And unlike the other sections where we'll follow up, we'll do this with public safety, but we want to answer as many of your questions today that you have. And then if there's additional questions, we certainly will follow up the, at the end of future work sessions. So with that, we'll start with the police department, then continue with the oversight office, and then we'll pause for what questions you have. Okay. Great. All right. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. The recent officer-involved shootings put a spotlight on policing, specifically issues surrounding transparency, accountability, use of force, policy, and training and community engagement. The investigation of this tragic event will likely inform decisions moving forward and topics such as ensuring the sanctity of life is a top priority of Grand Rapids police officers, ensuring only the minimum force necessary is used for law enforcement purposes, and that traffic enforcement is public safety focus are early issues I will focus on. Ensuring officers in the Grand Rapids Police Department are receiving the best training on use of force, de-escalation, crisis intervention, and cultural competency are, are a priority. I recognize the gravity of this time for policing in Grand Rapids. I'm confident in our ability to move forward in the right direction as an organization. I've been here just 54 days and I'm still very much learning, but I fully support the budget where you'll see resources allocated to do the job to the best benefit of the community working with the community. As I continue to evaluate the department and make improvements, I look forward to returning to this body to update you in the coming months. The police department has 305 sworn and 121 non-sworn positions to serve our city of over 200,000. By September, we expect to reduce our sworn vacancies to 15. Each of the department responds to approximately 76,000 calls for service. We maintain accreditation with the Commission for Accreditation of Law Enforcement Agencies for both the Police Department and Dispatch Center, and our latent print unit is accredited by the American Association for Laboratory Accreditation. As you can see here, an overview of our budget shows a majority of the general fund, 83% is personnel costs. Shown here is a breakdown of personnel costs, indicating 56% of costs are attributed to full-time employees and 21% for retirement fund contributions. This is a breakdown by units within the police department. As you can see, the patrol unit takes the largest share at 51%, followed by the detective unit, 
which accounts for 13%. Shown here, the total percent of the general fund has decreased significantly since fiscal year 2021, a total of 4.44% decrease. I'm now going to briefly turn the presentation over to Deputy Chief Rogers to discuss personnel, staffing, partnerships, and training. Thank you. Uh, we have shown this graph in previous presentations and wanted to circle back with our projected and actual numbers regarding staffing. We projected to have 303 sworn officers at GRPD in May of 2022. However, due to low numbers of applicants and eligible hires, we are currently only at 289. And this includes our 10 recruits that had just started the police academy yesterday. We are now projecting to be at our allocated 305 sworn staff in late spring of 2023. Uh, regarding neighborhood-based policing, we are anticipating all the 33 beats to be covered in the late spring of 2023 based on staffing and recruiting. The homeless outreach team, the crisis, mobile crisis intervention um, team, and housing code enforcement are all co-response teams with civilian partners, all of which align with the department's strategic plan and looking at alternative ways to respond to calls for service and solving community issues. Uh, police department training. Almost all the trainings at GRPD are scenario-based and involve decision-making and de-escalation. Moving forward, Chief Winstrom will be conducting a review of all the in-house trainings and collaborate with Office of OPA and adding additional community-based training. In late 2021, GRPD rolled out a data-informed community engagement program, which we call DICE. This program aligns with a strategic plan and engaging a collaborative problem-solving initiative with our community and maximizes the use of data to provide timely and accurate intelligence. We'll continue the implementation of this initiative in all areas of the city. This just shows some of the key performance indicators, uh, which we often look at regarding crime in our community, which is aggravated assault and homicides. As we see, aggravated assaults continue to rise in 2021. However, homicides did decrease. And as you show in the graph, um, we present things based on incident numbers. So we added um, an additional um, marking on there to show actually the number of victims. Uh, community engagement units have been able to be, of course, we've been able to re-engage since the shutdown of many events due to COVID in 2020, and I already covered the uh, percentage of beats within the city. Uh, this is just the key performance indicators for dispatch. They reached their targeted goal in 2021, answering 95.06% of 911 calls within five seconds and answered over 99.57% of the 911 calls within 40 seconds. For accomplishments and current initiatives, um, just to highlight uh, some with the Drive for Success partnership, a course with the Boys and Girls Club, 22 students have participated to remove cost barriers uh, to provide professional driver education and improve safety skills. Um, our guys did partnership or did partner with the Office of OPA to include Know Your Rights campaign into this program. This program is still growing with additional businesses um, contacting us and willing to participate again, moving it forward. Uh, 45 crisis intervention officer, so far 45 officers are trained in crisis intervention, which is a 40 hour school addition. We provide um, smaller sections of this training, but we're continued um, and devoted to doing two full of the 40 hour trainings a year. Clergy on patrol, 
faith-based leaders, of course, are partnering with our officers to build bridges. Our CLEAR program recidivism rates drop an average of 28 um, from 20. I'm sorry, average of 28 to 15% for people who attend at least four meetings with our officers in that program. And we continue to collaborate with GRCC, GVSU, and again, recruiting, focus on diversity, removing barriers where possible. We did just recently purchase the ESOF background software, which will hope hopefully streamline the background process and allow even applicants to apply uh, via their mobile device rather than needing a computer. Uh, we're continuing to additional moving forward to sponsor the two academies, hopefully, um, that we were able to this year, plan travels to neighborhood states, military bases, and historically black colleges and universities, and outreach with diversity, inclusion, multicultural organizations at in-state colleges. Information received uh, from the community is very important to us, and we look to embrace and enhance community input by expanding the police chief's advisory team to include new members representing emerging populations, continue our conversations with groups such as the ACLU, Link Up, NAACP, Urban League, neighborhood groups, and others, uh, continue our listening sessions with faith-based organizations, partner with uh, OPA to receive community input on department training, as well as uh, look into and act upon information received from community surveys. Establish a 60-day action plan, which includes a complete review of department and policies and procedures, a review of all non-state man mandated training, a review of police equipment, including body-worn camera sister system that we utilize, deployment strategies for sworn officers, establishing a team to work on the continuation of the strategic plan, and evaluating and updating the civilian chief of staff job description and responsibilities moving forward. That concludes our presentation. Mayor, we'll, we'll hear from the oversight office, but just to clarify, Chief, that's in the next 60 days, not on your 60th day of employment. Next 60 days. Correct? That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> I have six days. <laughs> okay, good morning. I'll be providing the update regarding the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability. This first slide talks about an overview. So OPA serves as that independent city department that works to increase transparency and accountability throughout the city. Uh, our primary work involves receiving and assisting community members with navigating internal processes. Um, OPA also works with our Cure Violence Program. This budget reflects $1,713,034 of investment in OPA. It's important to note that that's increased from the $404,781 in fiscal year 22. Uh, and that also gives us, um, and there's also an anticipated ability to leverage an additional $850,000 toward the work of OPA. That's an anticipated budget of $2,563,000, which is a 537% increase. Uh, this is a good budget for OPA. OPA has recently been awarded a grant from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation in the amount of $250,000 uh, per year for three years to increase staffing capacity. We're also a finalist for a Harvard Bloomberg Fellow, which will also assist with increasing OPA's capacity. 
This next slide really shows the overview uh, of our budget. If you start with fiscal year 21 and look to where we find it today, the changes in this budget include the addition of an administrative aid position, $75,000 toward cure violence, $150,000 staff contract position um, for community engagement, $100,000 focused on training uh, that's done in partnership with community, and we'll talk about that more on the future staff, and then an $850,000 move of the body camera contract to OPA. This next slide uh, breaks down our personnel. So if you look at the first fiscal year when OPA became uh, in office, we, there was one staff person, me, and over time we've continued to add uh, to the office. So if you look during fiscal year 22, there were uh, two FTEs in our budget. Uh, and we also have had great collaboration from the Human Resources Department that has been loaning us a staff person um, throughout um, the, the last fiscal year. So with that combined with our temporary staff, it brought us to four in this current fiscal year. But looking ahead to fiscal year 2023, um, there is uh, the three people that will be in our budget that includes that aid position we just spoke about. HR is going to continue to allow us to borrow that staff person for continued continuity of operations through the end of December. We also have two contract positions and then the grant funded positions, two that have already been awarded through the Kellogg Foundation uh, and then another that's anticipated through the Harvard Bloomberg. So that will bring our staffing totals to eight uh, and along. And if we include that temporary HR position we'll have, that'll bring us to nine. So if we look at our strategic plan, you may recall that OPA operates uh, from the acronym CARE, which is Change, Accountability, Restorative Justice, Empowerment, and Engagement. When we talk about change, we're talking about the fact that OPA helps to improve public safety policies and operations through innovation and collaboration. So some of the spaces where we've been collaborating on is with the uh, fire department on their recruiting methods. I'm very proud of the work that Kevin Kirill Vasquez has been doing. In fact, he mapped out a project as part of his master's program in this area. So we're excited about that work. Uh, we've also been working to review our arbitration process and improving diversity and recruitment and retention of all public safety staff, specifically in relation to automatic disqualifiers of candidates. Under accountability, OPA helps to improve individual supervisory and organizational accountability for public safety activities through civilian oversight of all public safety operations. This really is the space where we talk about case evaluation, monitoring, and investigating. Uh, throughout the last fiscal year, OPA reviewed all 20 complaint disposition reports that were provided to us. We created a framework for reimagining the Civilian Appeal Board, and we look forward to implementing that. We also finalized a review process uh, for the OPA policy. We're excited about what will come from that with the partnership with Chief Westrom and the police department. We finalized our case management system for incoming complaints. City manager also uh, released an administrative order which helped OPA to begin to have access uh, to police records. Uh, and Chief Winstrom also invited OPA immediately into the process of overseeing and monitoring the officer-involved shooting here in Grand Rapids. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm thrilled to have a commitment from Chief Winstrom to work with OPA to improve the sharing of information and the ability to perform oversight of GRPD. Uh, and, and I do want to add there that just the, the very nature, the feeling of the relationship has changed drastically. I wouldn't say this if it weren't true. Uh, Chief Westrom has already shown a, a real commitment to this work, and I believe we will uh, go very far with it.
On this next slide, you see uh, restorative justice. And when we look at restorative justice, that means the OPA will help reduce barriers to trust that have been created by systemic inequities in the criminal justice system or that cause disparate outcomes. Uh, a shining example of that is the Clean Slate GR expungement fair that we hosted just over a month ago. Uh, during that time, 500 community members were served to determine their expungement eligibility and receive the necessary documents to move forward. Out of those individuals, 297 were able to file and submit their expungement applications. We're very excited and, and grateful for the many community partners who stepped up to help us to complete this. This was a great day for Grand Rapids, and uh, you know we don't have a lot of time, but I'll share that I sat down with someone who was literally in tears as we had a conversation, and they said that they felt like their life changed at that moment, and that's the work that we're doing. On this next slide, uh, we see empowerment and engagement. OPA helps to enhance communication and education with the public regarding public safety matters. That includes our Know Your Rights uh, program as well as our Let's Talk About It program and the work we do with planning and participating in town halls and community meetings. That includes attending protests and listening to the issues that are raised by community to inform policy considerations and recommendations. An example of that is the work that we did with our surveillance policy. That was in response to information that we heard from community and partners who stepped up to come to the table and we worked together to get that done. Additionally, there have been strategic conversations with community leaders regarding public safety matters in the recent weeks. That's include lots of conversations with members of our African immigrant and refugee community and we'll talk about that more on future slides. These next slides talk about our work with Cure Violence here in Grand Rapids. We're excited about what's being done here. We have recently secured $600,000 from the federal government in earmarks, along with the $300,000 from Spectrum Healthcare that we also received, which is now at the $200,000 mark. So that gets us to $800,000 in outside funding that we have currently for Cure Violence. When we formally launched Cure Violence in partnership with the Urban League, we now see that there's been 328 interactions with key individuals involved in violent acts and 447 with non-key individuals, which are individuals who uh, are not involved or inciting the violence but live in a target area and are impacted by that. Um, one of the most important things or one of the greatest things that Cure Violence has been able to do is to broker a peace treaty between rivaling street factions where they pledge not to use violence against each other. Cure Violence has also been working to organize with families for uh, disengaged parenting and opportunity youth. We also see that uh, the Urban League of West Michigan has provided wraparound services to, pro to provide housing and economic security, which includes uh, referrals to employment service and housing services. The Urban League has been a great partner in this work. On this next slide, you see uh, the, the work around community-informed training. In the city's strategic plan, we've committed to elevating resident voice in all city operations. And in recent weeks, there's been a renewed request from community to be more involved in the creation and selection of training opportunities for police. We've heard that, uh, especially from our immigrant uh, and refugee communities, but across the city, we've heard uh, concerns raised that community wants to be involved in this work. This budget reflects $100,000 of additional investment towards that development and implementation of public safety trainings. Uh, these trainings will be co-created with community and or responsive to community recommendations regarding necessary training for our public safety staff. That includes topics like um, cultural competency, understanding the immigrant and refugee experiences, bias 
bias reductions, impact on racism, and the history of policing in America. In addition to our work and training, we're also uh, working to improve and increase our community engagement efforts. OPA continues to work with city departments and partners to increase engagement across the city regarding public safety policies. In recent weeks, we've worked with the Office of Equity and Engagement and community leaders along with the office, uh, the executive office and the police department to begin to assess specific engagement needs for our refugee and immigrant community members. Amongst the needs identified, specific emphasis has been placed on Know Your Rights programming, specifically designed to address differences in legal expectations and cultural realities in the United States. And as some of you know, even at uh, recent events that we attended, that was a theme that continued to come up. The community, there are differences in the way that policing expectations across the world. And it's important that our officers are trained on those differences. This budget reflects $150,000 in additional investment toward additional staffing and programming to increase engagement with our community with a special emphasis on serving immigrant and refugee communities. On this next slide, there are some key performance indicators. Uh, you see that our CAB appeals um, cases and outcomes from 2020 and 2021. Uh, and if you look here, there were uh, 56 cases that would have been eligible in 2020 and 48 that would have been eligible for cap review in 2021. When we look at those 2020 cases, only three of the 56 were actually appealed. This speaks to the space where we're reimagining the Civilian Appeals Board and that we need to uh, do additional work and making sure the community understands that this is a resource, how to utilize this resource, and to build trust in the resource. Another key indicator is around our expungement clinics. Again, we were able to service 500 at the city's expungement clinic, but OPA also existed in other expungement clinics where uh, 700 people were serviced. That brings us to a total of 1,200 people that have been served through our clean slate work. Horizon issues for the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability include the creation of an administrative policy that governs oversight to increase accountability. And this is a policy that will be understood by community to understand their roles and responsibilities and also so that our uh, internal staff, including our police officers, understand those roles fully. Increased access to police records continues to be a horizon issue. The update of the Civilian Appeals Board policy, which we hope to do through the reimagining process, as well as work around racial healing circles to support community dialogue with police, to create cultural competency and build bridges to trust. Expanding capacity to provide permanent administrative support. Uh, we are excited about the ability to expand OPA's capacity now. We're grateful to the Kellogg Foundation for the support of two uh, justice analysts, which will greatly help us increase that work. Uh, there's also an evaluation of traffic stop data. Uh, we are uh, anticipate completing this by the end of fiscal year 2023. That's looking at that traffic stop data in a way that the city did uh, previously to look for disparities in our traffic stops. And then also evaluation of officer-involved shooting policies and procedures. That includes, but is not limited to, uh, when we publicly release video evidence, the identification of officers involved in incidents, de-escalation, and other relevant policies. Thank you. All right. Thank you, all three of you. Appreciate it. Um, I I'll just start, Juan. Uh, Thank you for the really comprehensive overview uh, and all of the efforts happening right now. Uh, I have one question and then I'll turn to my colleagues. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Mr. Davis, can you elaborate a little bit on um, 
maybe your thoughts on uh, why the low number of appeals to CAB? Sure. I think there are a few reasons that we're evaluating the low number of appeal to CAB. One of them is just it's a resource that not everyone knows about. So uh, the police department does provide notice of cab appeals as part of the CDR, the complaint disposition report that will go out to complainants that receive those reports. But not everyone understands uh, what our cab board does. And some of them and there's a lack of trust for some um, as it relates to our civilian appeals board. And that's one of the spaces and reasons that we're working through that reimagining process. Another space is the way that uh, certain complaints are identified. And the chief and I have already begun to have con some conversation around those spaces. But the ability to go to the civilian appeals board is limited based on the type of complaint and the way that that complaint is classified. Additionally, the language uh, in our current civilian appeals board policy limits the ability uh, to appeal to complainants, meaning the individual that was actually harmed in the incident, whereas we accept police uh, complaints from anonymous sources. Uh, the way that our Civilian Appeals Board policy is currently written does not is not quite as, ex as expansive. So there's room for us to improve that policy to move toward more equitable outcomes and greater access by community. Great. Thank you for that. Um, and then just one other question. Um, I'm happy to see the preliminary data related to cure violence. Um, I know that data collection piece and tracking impact was a big part of um, the conversation we had when we started that program. Can you remind me how often this body will be updated on that work uh, and the data from cure violence? Sure. Uh, the, we are updating on an annual basis the data from cure violence. We begin the work uh, in July. So we anticipate having an update sometime around July or August. Great. Thank you. All right. Colleagues, questions? C Commissioner Moody? Yeah. Thank you very much for this report. I definitely appreciate it. I wanted to ask a question about two. One, in, in reference to the number of officers that you, that you apparently have right now versus 15 that are going to be leaving or they have left already. Uh, and in reference to that, uh, are those officers, those 15 in decline, are they retired or what is the uh, essence of that number? We just projected based on historical data that we lose about 10 officers a year to retirement. So we're trying to project out, if that's what you're referring to on that chart, that's mm -hmm. projecting that we usually lose about 10 to retirement and seven to um, other jobs or things of that nature. So it was just the projection of it. Okay, my second question is that uh, I have a pet pee. My pet pee is grow your own. And I've been talking about this since I got on the, this commission about making sure that if we're going to look for officers, that we make sure we look in our backyard as well, uh, starting with our schools. Uh, I don't know if you guys are looking at putting some kind of program together that we're going to the Grand Rapids Public School System to continue to put something in place to look for officers. And then two, you talked about training uh, in reference to uh, a comprehensive cultural training. I don't know what that looks like or what that is. Can you explain to me what that would be? 
Sure. I'll talk about the schools. Um, there is a program that's being uh, put together through Grand Rapids Public Schools. It was put on hold for um, a little bit on their end, but I believe that they are continuing with it for all of public safety, um, not just police, but fire, dispatch, and everything, et cetera. And so that is still in the process of being created um, between our staff and theirs. And additionally, other youth engagement we have, we do have an Explorers program. We do have three officers assigned to the Boys and Girls Club in the city as well, a, um, a youth police academy. So we are making uh, efforts there. In regards to training, uh, part of the training as far as cultural competency will be something that uh, Mr. Davis and I have talked about, getting input from the community saying, what would you like to know? You know we've had a lot of sit-downs with leaders from the uh, immigrant community, the refugee community from the Congo, and they've been t telling us things, hey, we would like your officers to know this. So getting that input from the community to know what they want to know. Additionally, we have had mandatory um, you know, implicit bias training um, over the past couple of years. It, uh, from my initial assessment, hasn't been as much as I would have liked to see. We're sending in the month of June two officers out to Minnesota for a week-long train-the-trainer class for uh, it's the uh, Fair and Impartial Policing Institute to come back so that we have individuals in the police department that are trained in uh, implicit bias training so that they can come back and share their knowledge with us. Got one more, Mayor. Um, in reference to recruitment, you mentioned that you're going to be attending or you're putting a plan in place for uh, going to HBCU colleges. Have you already put that plan in place? Have you engaged with talking with individuals from the military and HBCU colleges or even other uh, uh, police institutions in those particular communities about their policing practices? Yes, the Community Engagement Unit, um, they have submitted actual plans for travel and have been in contact with the uh, military bases and the HBCUs, HBCUs on who that they are visiting. There was some issues with some of the um, colleges not wanting to open up to have us actually on campus, so they were also trying to figure out how to do things virtually, but they are um, coordinating with all of the entities and have submitted actual plans and travel program or how much travel is going to cost, et cetera, to go to these colleges. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and you. Mayor, could, the, the HBCU initiative has been one we have not been able to deploy in, in recent years uh, due to the pandemic. Is that accurate? Correct. Historically, um, we have visited um, some of the schools, but it has it took about a two-year um, hiatus with COVID. Correct. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Commissioner Ruppert? Yeah, thanks, Mayor. Thank you, Chief Winstrom. Thank you, uh, Mr. Davis and D.C. Rogers. Um, so kind of a broad question and then one nitpicky thing. But so I can I can I appreciate this budget as prepared now, but um, I guess I'm trying to kind of place it in the context of our situation. We're still waiting on a lot of information from this investigation. We're going to embark as a community on a another deep look at policing in Grand Rapids and so I appreciate from both you Chief Winstrom and you um, Mr. Davis and from the city manager that we're you know we're not going to leave any rock unturned that any viable solution that we'll consider at this time so I guess I have kind of two questions related to that one is how will I, I understand how you're going to be engaged how you're going to be engaged but how will the commission be engaged in those ongoing conversations around what are we going to do in the wake of this moment? And partly that's because I think that depending on what we decide to pursue, there's budget implications for that, right? So 
a silly example is, let's say that the community calls for GRPD to change their uniform. That, that would have a, a cost to the department for every single person to get a different uniform. Or if the community continues to, to offer their call for demilitarization and we decide that we want to have some shifts or some moments where officers are not carrying firearms anymore as a way of kind of eliminating that, that would have budget implications for liability insurance, for training, for purchase of those firearms. Or even, you know, if we continue to kind of, as we, it's all written down, we're going to do it, evaluate our balance of sworn versus non-sworn, that will have budget implications as we go along. So I guess my two questions are, how will we be engaged in our role as city commissioners in that ongoing debate? And then how will we return to um, budget conversations based on the outcome of that conversation? Uh, so that's my big question. My, my I guess, Forgive the nitpicky nature of this, but one of the calls from the community is is for you know an evaluation of kind of demilitarization, and so in the same line, we're going to go to historic black colleges and universities, and also to military bases. And so, I just when I saw that, I thought to myself, you know, that is a criticism of law enforcement is kind of this this kind of huge overlap with paramilitary folks, and just wondering what the discussions have been like about in the department around that. So, yeah. thank you. I think that the, um, you know, one of the driving factors in the, the visiting military bases is that, uh, generally speaking, that is an age group that is uh, what we're targeting for recruits. As well, the diversity of the military is much greater than the general population and the general makeup of the current makeup of the Grand Rapids Police Department. So that's a driving factor behind that. And, Commissioner, I think I'll turn to City Manager to talk about process. Uh, I, I am with you. I, I do anticipate over the next several months and, and likely uh, year, uh, far beyond after we uh, so, you know, pass a budget for this year, that we likely will have uh, budget implications uh, to some of the things we want to accomplish. So, City Manager, do you want to speak to that? <coughs> yes. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I think Commissioner Repart um, both posed the question and the answer in some of the response. So I think the all the implications around fiscal decisions, you're right, this body will have to deliberate them both as a body as a whole as well as fiscal committee. But the uh, policy issues, I think the police chief indicated he'll be evaluating a lot of the policies. Those are operational within the police department. But as it affects the strategic plan, uh, out of transparency, out of accountability, I fully expect both an update, as he's committed to, to both public safety committee, uh, his work, as well as oversight office work, and eventually a report out on the plan moving forward. And I th think those are the, the, the big policy opportunities for the governing body to provide direction, feedback, but not, not operationally approve what he does in the police department. But definitely with resourcing uh, that. I think the other opportunity is legislatively. Uh, as we have um, realized, a, a lot of the reform efforts that we have are local, but there's also the need to have this body's voice heard in Lansing and in D.C. Uh, and that is something staff will supplement, will testify whenever we can. But I think 
uh, now that we have the attention of the state and the country, that there'll be even more opportunities for us to be more visible and vocal around those issues as well. And then I think the other issue is when we get to uh, what we know may be the legal um, challenges uh, around litigation, as we've all already been told that there, uh, there, are, there is representation, that there will be policy discussions uh, from this body that the city attorney will have to help us all with, and you will have to both deliberate those and, and decide on those moving forward. And so I, 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 because it is ever-evolving, we will do our best to create a, a, a roadmap when those issues are, uh, when those opportunities are. But I think if we can be disciplined to uh, the public safety uh, committee uh, process and with the intent, if there's a desire for more people on this dais to be involved in that discussion, uh, I don't think that there's anything that would prohibit other members from attending those meetings and participating in that process. Is that accurate, City Attorney? Correct. Okay, and so we'll, so I would I would welcome that as a as a ongoing monthly uh, opportunity to to check in on progress in in uh, public safety. Yeah, I think ultimately we recognize there's a lot of work before us, uh, both by the chief and Mr. Davis, uh, city manager, and all of us. And uh, I don't think we can fully appreciate what lies ahead, but it's going to be a lot of work. Thanks. Uh, let's go to Commissioner Lanier and then Commissioner Sassi and then Commissioner Jones. Good morning, Chief DC, Mr. Davis. Thank you all so much for the presentation. Um, I, um, similar to Commissioner Rephardt, I, I have my police department strategic plan here on the dais. I was, um, and multiple iterations of it actually too, in notes that I've been capturing um, in recent months, but even as the strategic plan was being developed, I was hopeful to um, have heard a little bit more about the strategic plan in this. Um, I think the, the point that you made, Chief, about reevaluating at least one position probably, you know, was part of kind of reviewing the strategic plan. But I think, similar to Commissioner Rephardt, I just feel like there are so many elements that are unknown that will impact this budget. And obviously, um, budgets are amended regularly and so we know that that possibility you know is likely but just to kind of hear from you a little bit more about the um your thoughts on this strategic plan it's you know i think small enough to digest even within your short period of time of being in the city um despite you know the challenges that um you're faced with um being here so just curious a little bit about that um I, you know, plan to spend time on your budget, <clears throat> and there have been a few line items um, over the years that I've had questions on that I know that I'll be reaching out to you just to get your feedback on those line items because I, you know, I want a better understanding of of the interpretation of those line items, and would, I think it would be great for someone coming from externally to to share feedback on those. Um, and then I have a few. 
that's kind of my opening statement. And then I have a few just comments or questions. Um, I do want to make the point that Drive for Success um, was funded by SAFE. And I think it's important to, to Commissioner Isasi's point about making sure that we're connecting all the dots that are tied together when we're making comments about programming. I think that's a really good one. Um, I'd like to hear more, um, as Commissioner Moody was asking, about the process for the HBCUs. I know that um, many people in our community are um, alumni of HBCUs, and they're closely tied to the, their um, schools and institutions. And so if you're having challenges, you know, breaking some of those barriers, I'm sure that those who are, you know, closely connected to their institutions would be happy to help to connect you with, you know, alumni bodies and other, um, organ other leaders within those institutions. Um, then I had... I think the same question, Mary, that you had about IA, and I, you know, I think to your point, Mr. Davis, that an awareness you know, awareness is part of the the challenge, um, and I wonder if there could be an awareness campaign. But thank you for sharing that um, something about the structure of what can come to CAB is being a barrier, because that may that may speak to a lot. As I was looking at the IA complaints from last year to this one. They look pretty similar, so there's activity happening, you know, regularly there. But I just wonder, you know, how do we how do we bring an awareness campaign to address to address um, the um, cab process? And I think with the with the um, group that you're bringing together to talk through cab and what it looks like and reimagining that, maybe that could come out of there. Um, I think I'm I'm curious to know. What interactions and um, partnerships are we developing with agencies who are charged with providing services to um, the immigrant community, um, like Bethany? Because you know, it would I think it would be great again to tie things together. We're doing work with um, a community of people that are also you know hearing from another institution. It would be great to kind of know what what's being shared there. Um, and then you mentioned, I, I'm really happy, um, Mr. Davis, about the traffic stop study kind of um, review, and I'm hopeful that it will have the same data sets so that we can compare apples to apples. Um, I, I, if my memory serves me correctly, I think we were, we were using 2018, 2018 data when it was reviewed, um, because we had to go back a year at the time when it was being reviewed, or maybe it was 2017, and we were reviewing it in 2018. But I'm curious to know, you know, if you will be able then to, whatever year that was, use all of the subsequent years in that report, because I think it'll tell a better story than from there to now looking at the data. And I think that concludes my questions, comments, statements. Thanks. So I think I'll, I'll start with Chief to see if um, you can answer maybe a couple of the questions, obviously, where there were comments and questions intertwined. Uh, and then, Mr. Davis, if you want to speak to anything. To uh, address a, the sort of strategic plan question, also uh, Commissioner Repart in uh, Commissioner Lanier, your concerns kind of on a, on a broad basis about how the budget plays into this um, critical incident that's going to inform a lot of the decisions we're making moving forward. 
so policy is free to write. I mean, I can go into the system today and I can change policy, but in my view of how policy works to implement proper policy, there's uh, the written words, the communication of those written words, and then there's training, especially for important policies like use of force, de-escalation, et cetera. And then there's one more factor, and that's accountability, making sure that officers are being held accountable accountable to that policy and the, and the training that they receive. So it brings comfort to me in this budget that knowing that we're going to be making these strong um, policy de decisions and possibly major policy changes moving forward that built into this budget is a framework for working with Mr. Davis and OPA with his increased budget for training for our officers, for him to make those proper decisions to get the community input for training, to, for him to help decide what the sort of tra training that those officers need to, to, uh, to comply with these policies as well enhance budget for accountability. And, and now that we're working together and making uh, taking a really serious look at the overall accountability system. So that brings comfort to me knowing that as we look to changes across the system, that this budget seems to have built in, even though it was mostly created prior to the incident of April 4th, it seems like it's um, set up to put us in a position where we can succeed moving forward with these, with these major changes. As for the strategic plan, I just, while I was trying to uh, picture in my eye, you're correct, Commissioner. I have only been here 40, 54 days, but I did read the strategic plan before I got the job and, and looked at it since, and some of the high-level things, I think, that will be reflected. Um, we, we spoke briefly, briefly about the, the correspondence model. Um, that we're doubling up the number of clinicians that are going to be available almost 24-7 to uh, respond to calls that don't have that necessarily public safety or that danger aspect where you don't need an individual with a with a gun responding. Instead, we're going to have our partners for Network 180 actually dispatched there. To uh, the homeless outreach team is another example of that. Uh, com cultural competency training uh, in the strategic plan is something that um, I know I'm. Uh, I am a big proponent of. I know Mr. Davis is too, and it's something that we're talking about. Transparency and accountability. I hope that um, you know the steps I've taken so far uh, through this this one high visibility thing shows my commitment to that. Can always do better. Um, can always evaluate doing better. I hope that that's the only police uh, officer involved shooting that we ever have to deal with as a city moving forward. But uh, I plan to release a. Um, uh, transparency document to say that you know what should there be another high level uh, high high visibility incident like this to be fully transparent this is how we're going to handle it going forward as as uh, mr. Davis said this is when we're going to release the name this is when we're going to release the video so to put it out there before the incident so people know what to expect in the process and they can have more faith in the process uh, de-escalation is mentioned in the um, in the uh, strategic plan as well Enhanced de-escalation training is something that I've already looked into getting and that I intend to get for the officers, as well as enhanced de-escalation policy. Um, data and transparency, I know we've been meeting about it. We have our, uh, our public-facing dashboard, dashboard is kind of in a holding pattern as we work through some data issues. Um, I look forward to being as transparent about our about our crime data and, and things like that. And I will say working with, uh, you know, when I started, Less than two months ago, one of the questions I, I had internally for the department was, hey, who's our liaison to cure violence? Because I want, I want to talk to see how the process is going. And the answer was, we don't really do that yet. So that gave the 
that uh, was actually a benefit to me to immediately reach out to the Urban League and talk to Mr. Jackson, who's the director of Pure Violence, and say, hey, let's get this system in place. And I've already been sharing data with him, you know, sending him Excel spreadsheets so that they have uh, metrics that they can measure themselves against, as well as crime trends that I see. So, so starting that fresh from when I first walked in the door was very helpful for me to make sure that uh, we succeed as a city, but their program succeeds as well. Those are the, uh, off the top of my head, the um, strategic plan high-ticket high items. I'm sure there's others that I'm missing, but uh, they, are, they are all on my radar, Commissioner. Thanks, Chief. Yeah, thank you for that. I think one of the things in the strategic plan is the staffing model. I think that's probably the one that it's relatively new, the way... Um, the staff is being deployed. So um, if, even if you don't have a response today, I'd like to hear your perspective on the existing staffing model and, and, and how people are deployed and when and what, we're, what we were trying to accomplish but not necessarily able to accomplish because of um, lack of staffing um, with the community-wide policing model. And I have heard from a lot of community, I've been in um, a community meeting just about every day, if not twice a day, for the past month. And uh, the input that I've received from a vast majority of the community is that they want to see the police officers. They want to see the police officers. They want to know the police officers by name. They want that community. They want that dedicated beat officer. They want good police officers. They want policing done as good as possible. But they want to see the, the police officers. So perhaps in, uh, when I return next, uh, I can give you an update on, on our staffing. Thank you. Thanks, Chief. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Davis, anything to add? Sure. Thank you. And thank you, Commissioner, for your questions. Uh, as it relates to an awareness campaign around that reimagining cab, I agree. I think that we have to do work to make sure the community understands the resources that are available through our public safety functions and, and, and across the city, but especially um, as we're having these tough conversations in community about public safety, it's important that they understand those tools. And we've talked about doing that awareness campaign before. I thought it was important that we wait to do an awareness campaign until after we do the reimagining process. So we're informing community about what the process is instead of about the, what the process was. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to doing that. We are still in a place where we are awaiting a few more of commission's appointments to that board so that we can begin that process. But our community Call partner- Brandon. <laughs> Who hasn't given the net? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we are looking forward to beginning that process and once we have the rest of those recommendations. As it relates to uh, end of partners that we've been working with, yes, we've begun the work of, of working with community partners that work in those immigrant and refugee spaces. We're very grateful for the work of, of faith leaders who've come to the table uh, and really given us a wealth of information and welcomed us to be a part of conversations to move forward. There's also uh, presidents or leaders and different tribes throughout the African uh, the, the continent of Africa who are represented here in Grand Rapids we've begun conversations with many of them as well. We've also uh, started working with Migrant Legal Aid, uh, and they're a partner that we're working with in that Know Your Rights uh, programming. So as you know, OPA already offers Know Your Rights programming, but we have not had a focus on immigration rights or those differences that exist from country to country. And Migrant Legal Aid uh, is an early partner in that space. We're still working out the details, but they're an early partner that's come to the table willing to help us navigate that. So we are working through those partnerships. And with this uh, added funding that's been uh, recommended in this budget around that engagement space with immigrant and refugee communities, I anticipate capacity increasing uh, greatly for us to be able to do more of that work. 
Lastly, as it relates to the traffic stop that, uh, study, Commissioner, I will take all of that under advisement. We're really early in that process, so we haven't gotten to a point where we've determined the data sets, but I think the point you raised is a great point, and we'll make sure to look into that. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Mr. Davis. Um, and I'll turn to Commissioner Isasi and then Commissioner Jones. Thank you, Mayor, and, and thank you all for being here and for the presentation today. Um, I will hold some of my questions because some of my colleagues have brought up some things related to, and, and you did too, Chief Winstrom, about the crime data, and um, we talked extensively about CAB. Um, but I wanted to just clarify one thing, DC Rogers, on um, the, the sworn force is, at this point, I just wanted to confirm, I know a couple of months ago when we had the resolution for Mercy Health to receive some officers, my understanding was that they would not go there until we reached our certain level. Is that the case? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So none of those positions okay. have been filled okay. at this time. I would say, colleagues, that continues to be an item for me um, that as we do our post-evaluation, obviously the chief and his um, his leaders and Mr. Davis are doing their evaluation on, you know, policies review. I know, Chief, I believe you would have done that <laughs> if you would have had that time. Um, I know those were a number of things that we discussed very early on, um, but I think that's incumbent upon us to continue to look at uh, uh, resolutions and policies that we have control over this body. Uh, my concern is the, con is the privatization of our public safety services, um, as well as uh, receiving other questions from other businesses and organizations who are asking for that same service. When we've heard from DC Rogers about the the realities of the staffing and recruitment. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon us to focus on what do we need to do internally. Um, so I just have to continue to say that. Um, I wanted to highlight the piece around the accreditation. I know this was a few months ago uh, before you were here, Chief, on the, the CALEA accreditation. Um, I know, at least through social media and other people who had reached out, there were some concerns about the short notice to provide feedback as it related to the accreditation process. I don't know. Um, if if we all remember that. So I think going back to like when we overlay the community engagement, I, I don't know what that process is to be notified that individuals will do that in terms of, you know, that accreditation process. But that is one set of feedback I wanted to overlay with community engagement and expectations. Because again, uh, from the previous presentations, if if the intention is to want to have that feedback, but you only get noticed a week ahead or a day before, how do we communicate that to the public? Um, so that's one piece. I wanted to, to just highlight and thank um, uh, Deputy Chief Reifenberg for, for bringing that Drive for Success program to the SAFE Task Force. I see you through the through the through the pieces. I think this is a good example of uh, this task force and and other and other sort of uh, cross sectional groups that we might have in the city, where we have somebody from our police department in leadership who knows some of the investments that are going on, as well as someone from our Kent County prosecutor, as well as other providers. Um, 
and I just did also want to highlight one of our uh, one of our awardees, Puertas Abiertas, a program. Um, and, and Chief, you got to meet some of the leaders there. Uh, Chief Chief did meet with myself, um, Commissioner Lanier, DC Reifenberg, other individuals from the community. <laughs> I think it was only about a week and a half before the incident uh, involving uh, Patrick Leoya's death on the, on the fourth. Um, it was. It was a great meeting because I think we were able to overlay experiences in neighborhood association groups, also those that are providing resources to those that may have experienced violence in our community. So to your point, Commissioner, continuing to overlay those investments is going to be absolutely important, um, as well as even in the expungement uh, uh, process, Mr. Davis, you and I talked about the hiring process for the city. So making that investment, and I know the HR department and you work together to be able to talk about also the opportunities that we have here at the city. So you talked about that life-changing moment, and then what does that um, lead out to? And then uh, the, the last question I have is um, just continuing on the immig immigrant and refugee uh, support and focus. I'll go back to my call for the county because I think I'm glad to see us make that, you know, commitment. And the reality is um, I don't have that lived experience and I, I don't want to speak for everybody else. But that is when that's why I think the representation on these bodies and boards matter. Um, but will we be continuing to go back to I guess this is my one really question. Uh, will we go back? I know the, uh, the welcome plan was referenced, which we received an update. I know many months ago, and, and some of us have had, had even gone to other meetings, but knowing the investments that we'll make, but that was also work that was stood up with the county and other partners, um, do we know, are they going to also make subsequent investments to that? Because, you know, we have been this community that has very openly um, worked to accept, you know, refugees and immigrants, and I mean, I don't know what you're welcoming those um, into our community. Um, but it's oftentimes how do we bring people into community, but then how do they live every single day? So I, I just want to continue to say it's not just it is certainly us. And what is our responsibility and what is not what responsibility? What is the humanity that we should be doing and changing how city government works? And I appreciate that this quick response to it, but also how do we use that influence with other bodies who have who have led some of this work? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, City like Manager, do you want to yeah. respond? I, I share uh, the concern about the pace and progress of the implementation of the welcome plan. And uh, I did speak to the county administrator last week who indicated me to me that they were in the final stages of a hiring process to hire a full-time person. In, in light of that, um, I, I do think the moment requires us to lead where we can. And uh, even if there has not been an opportunity, um, or even if the opportunity before was to do it collaboratively with the county, we will still do that. But I think uh, specifically with uh, police um, oversight and reform to be more inclusive with uh, the oversight office and the police chief's advisory team. But uh, I, I recently acquired a list of um, some 18, 20 names of uh, African immigrant refugees from the meeting that you were 
uh, attended along with, with the mayor and, and myself this past weekend. And we intend to look at those names, share it also with the appointment committee to see uh, where there might be opportunities to be more inclusive on all areas of our um, public bodies, but also to see if uh, we could have a more focused uh, conversation in Grand Rapids, because uh, I, I suspect the majority of people who are immigrant refugees, they, they all don't live in the city. They may have interactions working and, and other things, so we'll, we'll need to be more inclusive around that. But I will also, as I uh, committed to talk to the county administrator about broadband, we'll also uh, see if we can get some actionable plans and commitments about their next steps around the welcoming plan. Thanks. Thanks, City Manager. All right, uh, Commissioner Jones and then Commissioner O'Connor. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you to uh, Chief Winstrom and Deputy Chief Rogers, Mr. Davis, um, for the presentation on this morning. I, um, I too, um, had some, some of the very similar uh, questions or concerns regarding the um, slide number um, 78 around recruitment processes uh, with regards to uh, not just um, obviously the HBCUs, but also the um, the ability to go and, and try to uh, attract um, potential um, officers from uh, military bases. And so I thank you to my colleagues for bringing that up. Um, Chief, I am also just, uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see and, and um, much like I'd inquired earlier with the, with the previous presentation, the absolute and critical need to review all of the departmental policies and procedures. Um, what I'm asking is the same thing I'd be asking of um, the, the effort outside of police is for every department to, in the very near future, as this, as this uh, review process occurs, is to have um, community members uh, who would perhaps be willing to participate as well, just to provide a, a, an additional lens in reviewing those policies and procedures. So that would be my hope that uh, that's something that I'll be in, in communication with Ms. Um, Stout about in her department, because again, I think it's critically important that we engage um, citizens in that space to again, bring uh, perhaps a lived experience that can speak to uh, particular policies and procedures. Also, um, Chief, I, uh, I too, as, as my colleague Commissioner Lanier mentioned, am very interested in hearing your uh, your your feedback on uh, deployment, in particular Hillett-Hines study. Again, I'll, I'll wait for that in the near future to hear from you on that. But also, if you could make note of, uh, would love to hear from you in the near future about your experience um, in Chicago with uh, CPD um, around the effort which we are seeing nationwide, where there uh, there's more of an effort to uh, seek uh, non-sworn civilian positions uh, to engage in the work of public safety. And uh, what was your experience there in Chicago um, in, that, in that work, or if you have any experience with that uh, in Chicago. Also uh, to uh, Mr. Davis, I can't thank you enough uh, for the ongoing work of reimagining the Civilian Appeals Board. I get uh, a myriad of questions around uh, where, the, where the CAB is, I know that uh, CAB has been um, a, a subject that many have discussed for a very long time. 
and really are, are I think for those who do know what CAB is, they're seeking to see a much more uh, stable um, body that uh, has very clear cut a very clear cut mission. Um, and uh, I'm happy to hear again about this uh, the, the the ability to reimagine. And I think that uh, the quicker we can reimagine, the better, um, especially in light of of, uh, of, the, of the current state. And uh, I will make sure. Uh, in fact, please, um, uh, if you could, maybe connect with uh, Commissioner Yasasi, who heads up um, the uh, the committee around appointments, just so we can get an idea of again where we are. So whoever it is who's um, not Johnny on the spot, we can get on that and get get some folks uh, get that particular body fully occupied uh, by uh, by residents. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Commissioner. Uh, let's go to Commissioner O'Connor, and then we'll see if uh, Mr. Davis or Chief have any uh, final comments before we move forward. Thank you, Mayor. Um, is it, coming back to the personnel stuff again, uh, you know, I've, I've asked a lot of questions about this here and at Public Safety. Um, you know, as it relates, and I, and I appreciate the effort and the work to, to you know, understand we have a, you know, a retirement curve that's happening because of a hiring boom in the 90s, and so there's a, a, a fairly large exodus of folks choosing to leave uh, because they've reached retirement age, and uh, you know, maybe sometimes you could get people to stick around a little longer, but I think that's part of the strategy. Not, the, the challenge, not just in our organization, but in, in both the public and private sector across the country is, is recruitment <coughs> and retention of employees. So how do we, like, you know, again, given the, the additional scrutiny that's on our department and on our community, how do we, how do we, you know, we want the best and brightest no matter what job you do at the city of Grand Rapids, but it ultimately at the police department, you absolutely want the best and brightest because of the, you know, the critical nature of some of the interactions they have. So how do we, how do we strike that balance that, you know, in, a, in an environment where there's, there's a, uh, lots of increased scrutiny on policing across the country where we now have had a critical incident in our community and we also want to make sure that we can be an attractive place for uh, men and women who choose law enforcement as a career how do we how do we you know how do we envision doing that and then you know as it relates to the, the, the you know the curve now of we, we had a plan for 303 we're not going to get there right and we have a, a a policing model that says we need 303 people to do the model with fidelity and we're only covering 88 87 percent of the beats um, so at what point do we have to make the determination, you know, we're not getting to the, the, the level of staffing we need to implement the model with fidelity, when do we have to reimagine the model? And I mean, again, I know you're 60 days into the job, uh, Chief, so it's, in, and I know your, your team has done great work trying to figure that out along the way for the, the past several years, but there has to, I think there has to be a hard conversation at some point of, you know, we're not, we, we may not get there, we may not get there as fast as we want to, I'm, I'm hopeful we get there, but, uh, you know, how, do, how, how does that all work? Those are both very difficult questions. The uh, the first one is kind of like, how are you going to fill these vacancies with what, you know, the the national climate of hiring? And now, to be blunt, this uh, incident is not is not going to help us, especially not going to help us in our um, efforts to attract diverse candidates. So it's like um, two steps back. We had uh, ten recruits start. I, I want to say last week or the week before. We, we, yeah, last week, yesterday, um, and they all showed up, and we were just this. This is so. I think I, I'm an optimist. I'm optimistic, and one of the reasons I am is because um, those in, those uh, individuals of the age uh, that are considering this profession will look to the city 
and they will see this critical incident and they will see how did the city react. Did they react in a way that treated their officers poorly or did they react in a way that offered a fair process? And, um, you know, police officers want to work in a place where it, just like any other employee, they want good working conditions. And um, a lot of that's going to be how I respond internally to the officers. I've tried to be as transparent externally as possible. I've also tried to be as transparent internally as possible, meeting with the officers on a regular basis, um, letting them know that, that I understand uh, what, they're, what they're thinking and what their concerns are. So really, how we as a city respond is going to be the answer to how easily we can recruit people. And, I'll tell you that so far, what I've seen, um, present company especially, has responded in a way that's seen as fair and legitimate within policing, so that um, I'm very optimistic that we'll, we will be able to meet these recruiting challenges moving forward. And hit that number of 303. To the second question, um, you raise a very valid point, and if it becomes apparent that we can't hit that numbers, we will have to, to reimagine. Thanks. And I know uh, city managers uh, making a list, and I, I know uh, Mr. Davis and chief is as well, so I anticipate some of the comments and questions being posed will come back at a later date with additional information. So uh, just know that. Uh, Commissioner Lanier, and then I think I'll uh, have the city manager move on. Yeah, I'll make this quick. I, I just want to come alongside the chief in his response just to remind Commissioner O'Connor that part of the challenge with um, hiring was that the police department um, use the um, hiring freeze that was across the entire city, which I think at the time, I don't know why that decision was made, um, knowing that we have as many retirements. So I think some of being behind with hiring is actually attributed to the lack of recruitment efforts that should have taken place in the last two years. Yeah, as yeah. Well. that's a, a good point and unfortunate. Um, an unfortunate consequence of COVID and some of the unknowns right. at that time. So. Right. I think, Mayor, just to be candid, we, we did not have any uh, sight of relief at that time. Yeah. So we knew yeah. we had significant reductions. We had no knowledge of what the CARES uh, award would be locally. It was only being allocated to yeah. Yeah. Uh, cities above certain populations, and the county did not... Um, provide an early indication of us receiving a lot of relief at the time. So that yeah. factored into uh, the hiring uh, freeze decision. It's a good, a good point. Um, all right. So we will uh, have you work with city manager to, to maybe create a update to the city commission on some of those questions that uh, need a little bit more time. And thank you all again for your presentation today. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, City Manager, we have uh, one more update, Commissioners, on District Court and the Fire Department, so we're going to ask those individuals to come forward. Uh, I know those of us who have to scoot out uh, and have a hard stop, uh, if those presenting, if you see any of us get up, please know it's not because we don't care about what you're saying, but it's because uh, we have very busy schedules. So, Thank you, Mayor. We're happy to have uh, Chief Lehman and... Uh, <clears throat> Court Administrator Tanya Todd here with us uh, this morning, and so we will start with the fire chief and then hear an update from the court. I think it's is it district court first and then fire chief? Sorry. Thank you, everyone. Good morning. I'm Tanya Todd. I'm recently in this position, but before this, I was clerk of the court for eight years. I will try to be a little bit speedy due to time. 
So uh, just a comment on some of the things I was hearing about with the tracking. I thought it might be interesting to follow those stats to charges and outcomes maybe. And so reaching out to the court might be a good opportunity to have a thorough comprehensive study on that. So we are the People's Court. About 2,500 people come to our courthouse daily, and that's for criminal cases, general civil, small claims, expungements, as we've hit on a lot. And so we are interacting with our citizens a lot. Um, more, more, more than half of those people are for the district court. We do share the building with 17th Circuit Court. Uh, we don't really talk about the weddings that we do, but that's a happy time for us. So Friday afternoons, uh, every now and then, you hear some cheering going on, and that's rare, so we welcome that. We do have our specialty courts, a sobriety court and a drug court, and there will be a slide that will show the recidivism rates and that success. You will also be getting an invitation to our May 25th drug court luncheon, because May is um, drug court month, and we want to celebrate some of our graduates and explain to you what the program has to offer. You've also probably seen our work crew program in the community, cleaning up, mowing lawns, shoveling snow, and that's a benefit for the city because it allows the purchases to be at uh, better prices. Also, I see Ms. Bohatch in here. We work together on the eviction prevention program, and that was for three years, and I believe the city has allowed that to continue even after the grant funds ended. And I'll mention it again a little bit later, but just uh, at the end of March, beginning of April, we received a $310,000 grant for another eviction diversion to hire two facilitators for one and a half years to work directly with tenants in more of a social work capacity to find out their barriers to paying rent rather than just giving out the funds like the recent SARA funds have been doing. That's great. So we've had this conversation about you know revenue, and I don't even like calling it revenue because I feel like we're providing a service to the citizens of Grand Rapids. The pandemic was difficult. We did do the um, unemployment share. I think we were one of the only organizations to do that to try to alleviate some of our, I don't like to say burden because I think we're an asset. Um, but there is um, some good news. I do think there is some momentum in the state as it, um, as it pertains to trial court funding. They created a Michigan Judicial Council on April and 20, April 21, and their first strategic goals is to address trial court funding. So this isn't just an us problem, this is an across the state problem, and it's nice to see that the state is considering that. And even though it didn't pass, Governor Whitmer did put in a $175 million line item to get all courts on the same database. And so it just leads me to believe that there's discussion about the funding issues. Um, Typically, and I'll re leave you to read the stats, but there was a study done, and we are in line as far as employees go with how we are staffed. And even though our revenue is down, and I know this has been addressed, we can have all the tickets or not all the tickets we want, but we've had a lot of things added. There's been a lot of discussion about expungements. We don't receive anything. We're providing the record checks for all these expungement fairs that are going on. And during the pandemic, we had to add an additional landlord-tenant hearing, so that takes up docket time and staff time. We have, um, as of April 1st, we can't provide date of birth because it's protected identifying information. So now we have 100 record checks per day that come from record check companies. So even though the revenue side looks um, dire, we're doing a lot of work for the community. Um, just a quick note on the recidivism rate, you'll see that the program participants and then especially the gra uh, graduates have excellent rates of not reconvicting. So that's just a significant benefit to the community. And again, I encourage you to attend uh, the luncheon on May 25th to learn more about that. 
We're also committed to DEI, and we like to take advantage of any trainings that Ms. Stout has to offer, but we did start our own group. We have a DEI meeting the fourth Wednesday of each month. We started out with about five employees. Now that's grown to close to 20, and we are going to be having some DEI speakers um, at June 8th and having the court attend, Dr. Tanya Bailey and also a representative from the Michigan Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services. And we continue to work on landlord tenant issues as well. So I'm going fast. Um, there's been a lot of decriminalization work, as mentioned, the clean slate legislation. In a couple of years, we're going to have to be working right now where uh, to build into our case management system, there's an automatic expungement where certain charges after seven or five years are automatically expunged. So hopefully that'll save time for staff because you won't have to go through the process of filing the motion and getting the hearing and all of that. So um, there's also been a lot of decriminalization of misdemeanors to civil infractions. Um, and you can see the other types of things that have been going on in the criminal justice field. And with all those expungements, like I say, we try our best to help out with the, the um, record checks and the record checks for the employment agencies as well. I mentioned the strategic goal and some movement in uh, trial court funding. We're completing the sale of two courtrooms back to the county, so that was gonna help us with our budget. I'm also looking into other areas of the courthouse that we're not using anymore to hopefully help with the lease. Um, we did get in November, or receive in November, a grant for 160000 and that's going to allow for the payment of an outdoor payment kiosk, so ho uh, hopefully get better access to people who need to make payments. Also, a large um, case management system for our bench to transition into more e-filing and some future trends. We also use that for some PPE and overtime work to catch up on the backlog. Uh, again, mentioning our work crew program and some of the things I've already mentioned, we also are nationally recognized as being part of a nationwide cohort that we discussed the landlord-tenant housing is, um, issues and evic eviction issues. And um, with that grant, I did want to mention that recent one at the beginning of April for $310,000. I don't know how many applicants there were total, but it was whittled down to 25, and then we went through an interview process and we're one of 13 cities nationwide to embark on this new grant. And so just in closing, I heard a lot of key words up here through this morning, essential services. We did not close the pandemic. The wheels of justice had to continue to turn. I've heard know your rights um, and talking about that. That's, that's the court. Housing, expungements, diversion, interpreters by court rule almost 10 years ago. We have to provide interpreters and we have a robust program. So a lot of what we talked about today uh, has a direct tie-in with us and we like to see um, our justice system supported. Thank you for your time. Thank you for that update. Chief. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for allowing us to re uh, present today. I'm happy to be able to uh, um, wrap up our budget discussions today with uh, the first slide here that represents um, our rededication of our Martin Luther King Fire Station on, on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Um, and uh, we are we're happy to be able to do that. I'd like to provide some other overviews uh, that are included in this budget. We just are concluding a, a hiring of our class of 15. Um, uh, and in, in January, we hired those folks uh, due to be completed in September. Increased our firefighter of color by 66% in comparison with 2018, uh, in which 10% of all staffing are now uh, people of color. Uh, by December, by September of 22, we expect to be at our full authorized strength um, in our hiring authorized strength uh, of 2006. 
And then uh, we are working with HR to build out our fire cadet program, which we are very excited that was uh, budgeted for this year. Uh, that will uh, give us the ability to intentionally seek more diversity within our ranks. Uh, the GRFD was uh, re-accredited this year with the CPSE, the Fire um, Commission on Accreditation, uh, as well as um, working on our next strategic plan. We're in the um, very end stages of uh, that, and it's almost ready for city manager review shortly. Um, we were uh, submitted for a SAFER grant, which would add eight personnel um, to help bolster our strength in the uh, south end of town where we're experiencing some uh, gaps, and uh, we will speak about that in a, a couple of more slides. Uh, but we also, contend, we also continue to collaborate with GRCC on a couple fronts. One is with the um, associate's degree program, but also with uh, a proposed new training facility that could be in the future. Uh, this slide... Uh, I'm sorry, this slide represents our uh, budget overview, uh, just shy of uh, $36 million. Uh, you can see that a majority of our personnel costs at 83%, uh, leaving 12% uh, in other services. Um, and uh, this is a very tight budget for us as we continue in our uh, many years of a continuation budget. Um, the uh, breakdown of this budget right here uh, shows an increase in our budget in a personnel line item, but those are mainly due to contractual increases in wages and health insurance, and uh, that, that makes up a majority of that increase. In this uh, proposed personnel costs, um, we can see that uh, um, the breakdown there, I won't spend a lot of time on that. Um, but I will show you that in this uh, slide here that represents the 12% of our um, additional costs, uh, that uh, um, equipment rentals makes up a majority of that. That is our, our large vehicle fleet, uh, um, and uh, we have very little in the way of discretionary that's left in this budget. You can see that uh, in this breakdown here um, by program that, uh, of course, our fire suppression staff make up the majority of that. And then uh, speaking to our strategic plan update, um, uh, we do hit uh, a lot of areas here within uh, government excellence as well as emergency preparedness. Uh, we are planning for a full-scale high-rise exercise in June of this year, and we are also um, increasing our recruitment efforts and uh, working with uh, our HR department uh, as well as a, a robust recruiting team to help bolster that for ourselves. The HOT team uh, continues to be uh, work uh, tirelessly uh, at addressing the needs of our uh, unsheltered community. Um, and uh, this slide represents not only their metrics, but over 8,000 engagements in that period of time of uh, 21. Uh, our Office of Emergency Management, um, I, can't, uh, I can't even begin to understand what we would do if we did not have that office. Can you, can you advance the slides, Chief? Sorry. I uh, can't even imagine what we would do without the uh, Office of Emergency Management supporting us throughout all of our efforts over the last number of years. Um, the, uh, uh, in that office, um, they have been and they will continue to work on uh, not only our COOP planning, continuity of operations planning for the entire city, uh, helping to facilitate tabletop exercises, as well as um, uh, coordinating the creation of our um, uh, emergency um, uh, uh, hazard mitigation plan uh, that was in coordination with Kent County and Ottawa County, uh, but continuing to work on a regional um, uh, mitigation plan as well as our emergency operations plan. 
This slide uh, represents our key performance indicators. Um, again, distribution, concentration, and reliability are the things that we depend on to gauge ourselves. Um, you can see a, dri a dip in the orange line, which represents distribution starting in 2019. Again, that represents our ability to get the first unit on scene within that benchmark time. And we do suffer some uh, areas in, on the periphery of the, the city to be able to make that happen. We are working on how we can adjust for that. Some horizon issues that we see, um, they revolve around uh, our uh, ability to uh, create and um, maintain our uh, aging facilities and uh, the division fire station, uh, which you've heard me talk about before. We have acquired land um, and we have $1 million budgeted in fiscal year 24 for site prep and demolition. Um, fiscal year 25, we'll see a bond issue. Um, and then this facility will assist with the uh, replacement of station 10, along with uh, taking on some of the training components that we see from Coldbrook, as well as uh, being able to provide an emergency operations center um, for uh, that, that facility as well. So wrapping a number of different needs into one facility um, will be tight, but it, we will be able to um, make that work uh, within the bounds of what we're able to be given. Um, we also have a conversation going on in the community about the GRCC training site. Um, that that uh, site right now is still in the planning phases, um, but will assist us in being able to make up some of the gaps that we would have in our uh, training components. But it's important for you to understand that uh, a remote training site outside of the city, depending on where it's located, will not meet all of our needs, and we still need to concentrate on training within the city and how we can best accomplish that. Some other things that I want to emphasize is the uh, cadet program. Uh, that would allow us to hire up to six personnel, um, and we would target the uh, high school graduates um, just out of high school, and uh, they would be able to give us some assistance with logistics within the fire department, uh, as well as providing a career opportunity and a career pathway for those people within the department. And I would like to conclude my presentation there and, and ready for any questions. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Chief and uh, Ms. Todd. I'll go ahead and open up and see if colleagues have any questions for either Ms. Todd or, or Chief Lehman. Commissioner, I have one. Oh, go ahead, Commissioner Moody. My question is for the 61st District Court. Um, you said that uh, you received a grant uh, for over $300,000 in assistance to eviction division. Um, do you know what the process is for people who are being evicted? How do they apply for this 300000 So this is going to be for two facilitators over one and a half years, and it's a new program, so it's in the works, but what we're going to do is we work with MDHHS as well so we can cross-reference data, and our goal is to connect with each tenant. So once the landlord-tenant case is filed, to connect with each tenant and try to screen them and connect them to community resources. So if there's addiction problems or transportation problems or childcare problems, we want to take what Kent County has in the city of Grand Rapids and use those resources and just act as the pivot point for people. Because unfortunately, all of our evaluations and studies in landlord-tenant, you want to catch the people before the case is filed, but we haven't quite figured out how to do that. And so the core is just a finite finite point where we know someone's in need and so then we want to just utilize um, that advantage. So is it possible to try to figure out some type of advertisement through 
Oh, absolutely, yes, absolutely. And so this is a work in progress. We're just, uh, my administrative assistant is trying to figure out the budget, and then we're going to try to post uh, within this month. So uh, marketing would be great. The only thing I would um, asterisks on this is that it's a private donor, and they have not yet publicly made their announcement. So they asked to hold off on any marketing until in May they make their announcement. And I don't know who it is. <laughs> Yes, Commissioner O'Connor. Thank, yeah, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, again, for the court, uh, remind me. I believe there was some bond payments that were pretty well done paying off the courthouse. Is that when does it? What does that happen? And what was the what was the revenue number that's uh, going to be saved once the that was paid? I know what's happening in the next year or two. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I I don't want to give a a incorrect statement, but I want to say hundreds of thousands at least. Um, we're doing it right now, so we are arming the courtroom 1A, which was smaller, so we had to get it up to security speeds, but the magistrate is moving from 7B to 1A so that we could give the county a whole judicial suite. And so right now, Judge Buda retired, um, and Judge Ross moved to 7A, but she'll be shift. Anyways, we're doing the shift by summer. And then I'm hoping to also um, get some space back from space we use for DART. I was going to say, I can jump in real quick and help you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Just, <laughs> no problem. Um, I know with the courtroom shift, we were banking on at least about half a million dollars just with that move, but we can follow up as far as the actual bond payment where we are at there. I don't know that off the top of my head, but I can follow up. Thank you for not either knowing that off the top of your head. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay, Commissioner Lanier. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, just a quick question for you, Chief, regarding the um, acquisition for the um, South Fire Station. Do you have a timeline um, for acquiring and um, possibly opening a, a fire station further south? So that we are currently working on uh, um, a location. And uh, we've had some good communications uh, with uh, a couple different locations that we feel would be very acceptable. Um, and it's a matter of finalizing those um, to be able to have that spot and then to look at site development and those conversations. There has been some money budgeted in uh, out years and the capital fund to be able to do that work. And so uh, I'm, I'm hopeful as long as the funding streams continue that we'll be able to make good progress on that. Thank you. So then the, there was another slide that mentioned something about staffing, um, slide one, 106. So does this um, eight personnel here, um, does that occur, you know, sooner than later? It looks like this is just kind of tied to the program where we're going into homes and things of that nature. So that, that number is tied to a SAFER grant, and mm -hmm. uh, the SAFER grant, unlike... Um, uh, the police grants that get brought forward is a co very competitive grant process. And so uh, if we're successful in that grant process, we should know by September. And if that's the case, then we would be able to start that hiring process. And, and that will take, uh, with, our new re with our new way of working within HR, um, we, that should be a, a, a shortened process. So we're expecting about three months. So hopefully by the first of the year of 23, can I Thank add, uh, Commissioner, and just to clarify, so unlike the COPS grant where there's no requisite match 
for the SAFER grant. And unlike the COPS grant, there's not a requirement to maintain staffing levels at the end of the grant period. So it should it not be fiscally sustainable, the chief has committed that he could absorb um, the positions with natural turnover within the department if we're unable to sustain it. Is that correct? That is correct. Because I don't think our five by five projects any addition of the firefighters in out years. Okay. That's it. Yep. Court. Yeah, thank you. Um, just for the court, just thanks for your work with the drug court, the sobriety court, the eviction work. That's all so super important. Very much in support of your work around decriminalization as well. And I just think that's another wonderful opportunity to partner with our police department as we evaluate those things in the future. Uh, Commissioner Yasasi had one question for the chief before she left. Is um, the homeless outreach team's interaction with the FUSE program. Just as that's kind of relaunched again, you know, making sure that information is flowing between those two, if, if you had an update to share about that. Yeah, most definitely. So uh, uh, Tammy Britton um, uh, sits um, very closely tied between those two uh, programs, uh, as well as uh, Ms. Pohach um, and <laughs> our, uh, our ability to have our EMS person uh, intertwined. So we have very good connection and, and cross-connection within all those programs. Chief Lehman. Hey, thanks for letting us use the the place on South Division for our CIA meetings. There's a big sledgehammer thing in there. I gave it a whirl uh, last time we had our meeting last Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, Chief, Ms. Todd, for the presentations on this morning. I'll turn now to uh, City Manager for the wrap-up and ask, next steps. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Jones. I'm going to ask Chief if he could advance the slides uh, for me to uh, the nope, other way. Yes. Uh, so thank you for your, your uh, time this morning and questions. We will endeavor to follow up with uh, responses either that relate to the future sections or separate if, if they are relating to questions about equity, uh, financials. And um, we have a scheduled work session next on the 10th to dis discuss uh, what you see before you both in the morning and in the afternoon. And um, if you can advance to the next slide, please. And so uh, just to uh, remind you about the process, please submit your questions to uh, me and the CFO so we can ensure continuity, because as you can imagine, that there are multiple people that sometimes are required to um, work on coordinate responses, and we want to make sure it's as coordinated as possible. And um, since we have a lot of people doing a lot of things in the organizations, and we'll try to get those responses out to you before the next work session. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Mr. President. Thank you, sir. Um, colleagues, we have two resolutions that we need to, uh, to speak to uh, on this afternoon before a public comment opportunity. Uh, the first is a resolution scheduling a public hearing on Tuesday, May 17, 2022, on the proposed property taxes and fiscal year 2023 city budget. So moved. Support. It's been moved and supported. Um, all in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Very good. Motion carries. Next item is a resolution scheduling a public hearing on Tuesday, May 17, 2022 to consider fiscal year 2023 service provision fees. Moved. Support. It's been moved and supported. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. 
Opposed? Very good. Motion carries. And now we'll move to public comment. I'd like to provide that opportunity for anyone who is here. Please step up to the microphone. You have, have up to three minutes to provide public comment. Are there any takers? Okay, very good. Seeing none, uh, this meeting is adjourned. <laughs>